At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So at this point, you're in a Las Vegas hotel room with your newly married lesbian yeah. wife. Married by Elvis. Yeah. A cocaine, a cocaine hyped hooker. <laughs> <laughs> and the weird thing is, you haven't come yet. <laughs> Right? We, we're just going to put this on the start of the podcast right, okay. and be like, this is what's to come. Right, so Make sure you watch the lot, you cunts. No, no. People keep saying to us, Lawrence, you know, you kind of you kind of top this guest. You kind of top this guest. No. You know. And we, and we never will. Let's just stop there and end no, the no, podcast. No, no, no. Let's oh. raise the fucking bar, mate. Right. Good. All right. Excellent. Welcome, Sean Atwood. Thanks for coming on, pal. Thank cheers. you very much. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, Thank cheers. you very much. Appreciate it. It's yeah. good to have this, this dude has had an unfucking believable life now we've had guests on before who've had amazing rises we've had some who've had amazingly bad hard times you've had both yeah and that's what makes you a very interesting bloke mate oh, thank you um i think we should start with a success you know <laughs> <laughs> what how did you find success in life early on i just growing up in the northwest in a little town called witness mm-hmm. chemical manufacturing didn't have much money well, I got interested in the stock market at age 14, unusually. Teachers giving me classes on my own, explaining how to read Differential Times. What made you think about that? I watched that movie, um, <laughs> Greed is Good, Gordon Gecko, Wall yeah. Street. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, you know, this is a way I can make millions and live this, you know, big life. And I was just dazzled by the American scene because I'd visited <laughs> as, a, as a teenager. <clears throat> you get off the plane in, in Arizona you know, the, the heat hits you. You see all the swimming pools in the backyards as you're coming into land. I'm like, no, this is paradise coming from Witness. So. It's true. You, yeah. must, you must have been like an entrepreneur at heart, though, because not many 14-year-olds are thinking about the stock market out there. What was I, your... was, I was an entrepreneur because at school before that, in at the dinner hour, I'd run to the shop, buy loads of sweets, go back, sell them for twice the price of the kids, get dinner vouchers. <laughs> eat, eat my lunch for the this dinner voucher. <laughs> that is, but that is, that is one of those things a lot of people say. They would sort of be doing those entrepreneurial things as a kid and sort of finding ways to cheat the system in a way, but also you're almost like Robin Hood. There, do you know I, I, mean? I haven't got any mail on my face, have I? No. No, I had All right, okay. Just key had question. Chicken, key question. Okay. <laughs> not the best question I've yeah. ever asked. Sponsored by McDonald's. <laughs> um, so, wait, you went to Arizona at 14? No, no. At 14, I started to do economics in my high school. Yeah. The teacher explained to me how, how the stock market worked, how to read the Financial Times. 16. What, what's Differential Times? Financial Times, right? So, what, what, why, why are you, why are they explaining to you how to read the financial? Right, Times? he was giving like, me. I was so interested in the stock market at this young age. He was giving me classes on my own. Okay. Oh, so he must have thought you were gifted, did he? Yeah, I yeah. guess something like that. And then at sixteen, I borrowed fifty quid off my nan, doubled it in BT shares, and that was it. Then I was telling all my mates in my little town, "I'm, I'm going to America. I'm going to make a million. I'm going to fly all you guys over." thought was crazy. Yeah, you've done it. He's done it, and I still am questioning whether that's a good idea. Yeah, and so at that age, what were your parents saying? And why why is your nan giving you fifty quid? Did you like? Did she believe in you? Or I went to my dad. 
and he was a Labour supporter, and it was Maggie Thatcher's privatisations, and he Ooh. told me to bugger off. Touchy yeah. subject. Yeah. yeah. So I knew my, I knew my nan well. voted for Maggie. Really? So I hit my nan up, and wow. she gave me the 50 quid. So basically it was, her, it was your grandma's <laughs> neoliberalism which ultimately helped you out, is what you're saying. <laughs> You laugh about it now, but, you know, she was a serious financial <laughs> forecaster, wasn't she? Yeah, she's Bloomberg in the witness area. And then once all the other family members saw the profits, they all started to jump on. Sure. Even, yeah. But uh, even then, your dad's still going. Oh. So, <laughs> well, I mean, we, we had a, a poker player on a, a while back. It, it does seem like you are, when you're playing the stocks, it is a gamble. Yes. It is a bit like that, isn't it? And you're betting that money that the stock's going to rise. But you, is it true that nobody really knows what's going to happen or... or do you have tips and tricks that you can pick up before you put your money down? Okay. We were in a unique time in England in the stock market back then because all of the major companies that the government owned <coughs> were getting sold off. Yeah. Mostly to banks. Mm. So they were selling them dirt cheap at the taxpayers' expense. That's well that's why nowadays um there are a lot of people calling the banks banksters. Yeah. Because of the way they've ruined the economy. Yes. Right. Totally. And this was when it was happening. This is when they were originally selling big companies off British gas, you know, the telecom. National Rail. And I, yeah, exactly. So I jumped on that. <laughs> how, how old? When, when, and, uh, as a teenager. Uh -huh. To be fair, everyone else in that area is probably going, fuck this, I can't believe what's going on here. And you're thinking, it's going to make me rich. This sure is 50 pence. Mm -hmm. You buy it at 50 pence, and the next thing it opens at a quid. Mm. It's not You've hard, doubled your money. It? Yeah. It's not hard. Yeah. And so at that time, why had you seen that? How had you seen that? How had that come around? Because it's not usual for a child to go down the route of thinking, oh, stocks and shares, that's amazing. It's, it can't just be you saw a movie and went, I'm going to do that. That's hard to get into as a 14-year-old. I had this entrepreneurial spirit, and when I did economics, something just clicked in my head about the stock market. I just got this unnatural attraction to it. And you understood the sit, how it worked? Well, I didn't know, but I got so obsessed. I had the teacher give me these lessons, and I went down the library, and I ordered loads of books on the mm. subject and just started reading everything. Because I've got this manic energy that I just throw into something if I get... Do you feel, for it. looking back now, because there's times where I look back on my life and it was almost like uh, YouTube was like almost telling us like, because every time I ended up doing a job, it was YouTube was always there in the background for some reason. And I'm like, was that, was I meant to end up PR doing this? And do you feel like it was like you were just meant to do that at that time in your life. Like, I did at that time, yes. Mm. Yeah, and I still watch it to this day. Yeah. yeah. It's in my DNA. You just can't help yourself now. I can't help myself. Mm -hmm. no. We'll get on to, do, do you still dabble? No, You're allowed because to dabble? I, I, my time now is fully occupied as an author and a public speaker, mm. so I don't really have the time. And you're not ever tempted to get back into that? I will down the road. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you ever need any business partners, we're, uh, we trust you what you're saying. You know we'll I mean? be your new grandmas. Um, and so when did you go to the States the first time? All right, I'd visit as a teenager and, you know, the plane's coming in and you, you see, you're looking down and you're seeing all the swimming pools in the backyards. And as soon as the girls hear your accent, oh, my God, you know the Beatles, you know the Queen, you know, all this kind of thing. Yeah, so they yeah. wrote the red carpet. Thinking, you know, just from being a plain person in the UK, I've got it made here. But you do, to them, I guess you look and sound like Paul McCartney or like Well, it's funny, you, it's funny you should say that because to get in a club in America, you've got to be, I think it's like 21. My aunt, 
changed my date of birth and my passport, took me club in. Brilliant. And she was introducing me to all these American women as Paul McCartney's nephew. Brilliant. So that went to so my head. it does seem a lot like your whole family's a bit entrepreneurial in that sense. Your <laughs> aunt's like, my what's aunt, this? My aunt's Paul McCartney's they're nephew. They're certainly willing to bend the rules, that's for <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> so where, where, were you, where were you going as a young kid? Arkansas, did you say? No, Arizona. Arizona. That's yes. a, oh, so you went to come visit your aunt in yeah. Arizona. Yeah. yeah. And that's why you were in Arizona, which isn't the most usual place to sort of visit for a holiday, is it? Not for an English person. So English was scarce. So we had this scarcity value. Yeah. So wherever you went, people were really friendly to you. Yeah. yeah. You were novel in that sense. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that must be quite an experience as a young teenager. Well, I was a shy teenager. I had the usual anxiety and stuff like that. And um, to go there and then all, all of a sudden, you know, I got all this attention. It just goes right to your head. And then did you go to university to study or what happened I went to that? uni at Liverpool, did business studies. And that was around the time the rave scene started in this country. So that became my other passion. Okay. Oh, that was your other passion, yeah. yeah. Partying. Partying. Now you're talking my language. In Liverpool. Yeah. yeah. Well, At that time. It, it, was, it was Manchester went off, I think, and Liverpool around the same time, London. What was the... Was this around the like, train spotting era? Were you, were you a bit older than that? Or? We're talking like 1989, 1990, because in 91, I went to Arizona and Right, okay. So, yeah. so you were on a... You, you that was when that. club music was at its absolute peak. It was, it? Acid it was almost the hipster. Scene. It was news yeah. headlines constantly. Shows the young people break into warehouses, yeah. uh, plane hangers, police chasing everybody. And, and you were part of that? I was part of that, yeah. What was that like to be part of? Well, before that, to get in a club, you had to dress in a suit and tie, and a bouncer's come out, left you in a queue for ages, looking down at you. People were sick of it. And this new style of music just came along, and the kids could just wear whatever they want. All these psychedelic clothes, baggy jeans, sneakers, and um, getting chased by the police you know, in these convoys on the motorway, and it was just a buzz. Mm. It was like a revolution in music at that time. Yeah, and, yeah. It, and it was sort of a reaction to what was going on politically as well at that time. Really, totally, wasn't it? Yeah. Everyone was so yeah. grey and bland and boring. We yeah. haven't really had anything in this country since then that was like that. I think people have sort of jumped on hip-hop in a similar way. But not, in America, but not in this country. it doesn't... Grime music, maybe you could argue, or something like that, yeah. maybe. But I, uh, culturally, it hasn't proliferated the mainstream as much as that maybe did. The biggest revolution in music before that was probably punk rock. And then you had all the soccer hooliganism after yeah. that. But then all the ecstasy heads started going to super clubs from all these little towns and hugging each other. And yeah. the soccer hooliganism <laughs> went down. Yeah. So, so free love came so, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you obviously discovered the music, discovered the new scene, and you discovered drugs yeah. In with that, yeah? Yeah. What was your first experience with drugs? All right. I had anxiety, and it was compounded because I almost got beat to death um, as a teenager when I went to fill up my mum's little red car petrol just past my driver's licence test, and some drunk started picking on me. Mm. Thought it was brave to stand up to him, and um, they were kicking me in the head, hit me in the <sighs> face with an iron bar, knocking pieces of my teeth out. Basically left me for dead. So that compounded my anxiety, and then when I went to a rave for the first time, took ecstasy, all that stress and tension that I had just melted away because before that, I wouldn't go up and dance. I was too self-conscious. Wouldn't go up and talk to women. Wouldn't talk to strangers. I'm on E. I'm smiling all night long, hugging people, meeting women, and just making friends with strangers. And, you know, it just I just got totally immersed in it. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they first have that experience and they have got all that pent-up shit and it just goes, they or likely to try it again after that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I got addicted to the lifestyle yeah. and that feeling. And the drug? They say that drug's not, the drug is not actually, not yeah, actually not addictive. Yourself, yeah. But I did get addicted to, well, it, by the end of it, when I was running this ecstasy business, I got addicted to the attention I was getting, the ego. 
the money I was making, the fast cash, um, just the lifestyle, playing cops and robbers, you know, avoiding the cops, the buzz off that, the adrenaline high. So there's a number of factors, if you've got a propensity towards addiction like me, that, 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 that stimulate that. Yeah. And that must be... So, but early on, obviously, you don't know that. You're just taking oh, drugs no, in the club. That as a yeah, kid, yeah. No. And as a, as a kid, you're just taking drugs. Your experience and all of this, and it, it's all melting away, all that, all that pent-up shit, and you're dancing the fucking head off, and you're enjoying life at this point, For 10 you? years, I didn't think I was an interesting enough person to be around unless I was high. But you're always chasing those early highs. You solved that problem, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> not exactly in the conventional way, but yeah. <laughs> but that must be... So you were you were not insecure, but sort of quite an anxious person. I was, I, I was insecure as well, if okay. I wasn't on drugs. Yeah. You self-conscious in... I feel like I've met a lot of people who are a bit like that, though, where until they have an alcoholic drink, even sometimes that... There's a few lads on who you're like, you like. You need a good four treble vodka rebels in before you have a chat with them. Do you yeah. know like is yeah. they're that type of person? They don't feel very confident. For it takes them a lot to. But then once they're they're there, you can't stop them. Yeah, they're on the yeah. dance floor and yeah, yeah. come down. Get, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Stop hugging all those. That's women. a police yeah, car yeah. you're on top of. Do you yeah, know yeah. Like, yeah. It is yeah. a bit like that with some lads. So I feel like I I know that person. I was like that on type. drugs exactly. There's a lot of people that are like that. So by day, you were studying money, business, economics, those sort of things. Was that, um, through those that decade, was that, in, you were still interested in that? In, in the beginning, in Arizona, I got work as a stockbroker. Okay. And if you've watched Wolf of Wall Street, you know that's just glorified telesales. Why did you choose to go to Arizona? Sorry. Because of my aunts. Okay, so you were staying with her. As, as a teenager, saw the, the, you know, the sun, the, the, the swimming pools, the size of the houses, the roads, the cars. So that was going to be my mecca. And, but not because traditionally, financially, it's New York, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Why not New York? And I wanted to be an investment analyst, and right. New York was the hub for that. So I thought, all right, just to get me started, I'll, I'll, I'll go as a stockbroker because there's a big stockbroker community in Arizona because there's a lot of money there. Okay. <coughs> so I had to call 500 numbers a day, commission only at first, wasn't making any money. It got down to the point where I was living off cheese on toast and bananas, and I thought I was going to have to come home. I was living off my student credit cards. But five years in, then you know, I was I was the top guy in the office, grossing half a million. Wow! Got my own staff, secretary, cold calls, and I only had enough money to to retire from that basically. But I continued to trade um, stock market online during the dot com bubble. What, that, what time are we talking here? We're talking the late nineties now, and that was how I made a couple of million. Okay. Yeah. And you just traded your way up. Trading my way up. And yeah. what kind of things were you investing in at that time? The biggest success I had was in an Indonesian satellite company obviously called Pacific Satellite Non-Satra. And I bought 30-something thousand shares around $5. That one alone went up to over $50 during the dot-com bubble. And I had, other, I had other shares as well, a lot of technology shares. And so that was, would you say that was your speciality, was technology, the technological side of things, investing in technology companies? Technology and biotech have got the most volatility. So okay. if you're a risk taker, you can make the big bucks if you know what you're doing. My specialty is a form of investing called technical analysis, right. where you look at charts and volume patterns and you kind of try and recognize surges in trading volume that indicate insider buying because mm -hmm. the insiders know what's going to come. So if you can piggyback that and a stock's trending up above its 150-day moving average and you've got all these other green lights... 
you jump on, you've got your probabilities narrowed right down for success. So you're basically banking on people, people doing something illegal and benefiting off the back of that inside trading. Inside trading is illegal, but no one hardly ever gets You can't get it. caught for it, basically, yeah. Every now and then you make an example out of someone, but it's so corrupt out there. So how does it. it feel when you put all the eggs in one basket and, and you see it taken off and you're thinking, oh, fucking, it's almost like you're watching a horse race, you know, and you're seeing people going crazy. Are you watching those numbers going up and just celebrating like fucking, I moved, I moved into a, a gated, guarded community into a million dollar house on the side of a mountain. I married the woman who was doing lesbian internet porn. We were just getting limo rides all over the place, pissing the money away. Throwing after parties for days on ends for my mates, just giving them all free drugs. That, you know, just just went completely out of control. Look at his face. That, um, <laughs> if I make it big enough on YouTube, there'll be videos of that coming. But there's a few things. There's saying. a few details in that story that you want to pick she out. Ma- she doesn't have to be a lesbian porn girl. She can just be a porn girl. I'm not that picky. But what? What? Now that's one thing you dropped in there. That wasn't your first wife, though, was it? I had three wives. Yeah. Was it not all at the same time? Obviously. <laughs> not oh, at the same no, time. No, don't. No. I thought that was Charlie Carolla. I thought you were about to explode then when you let that one out. So uh, when did you go, Mormon? When did you get your first wife? When I moved to America, I met a woman in a bar, a Korean woman, and. Um, I was actually being sensible now. I was off I was off the drugs for a period and I was looking to just build my career. And she asked me if I would come over to her apartment the next week and, and help her move a piano. Sure. <laughs> I didn't know what that entailed. It wasn't it wasn't Yoko Ono, was it? No. <laughs> I didn't know what that entailed, but I my went husband's over. just died and uh, I've still got this fucking piano. This big fucking piano. Yeah. Yeah. I went over. Paul, there. come over. <laughs> You're like, Paul not... McCartney's nephew, you saw it right out for her. She had this grand chung piano that wouldn't budge. But she'd cut the Sorry, nice... are you speaking innuendo now, or is this just a true story about a piano? She'd cut... Did you play her keys? She'd, <laughs> she'd cut the nice chicken curry. I started... Oh, that's a good way to my heart. I started to go back every week, and that's how we got together. You play the piano, she took the, cook the curry. Yeah. But I thought I was set. I thought then that's it, the drugs thing was over. I'm married, I'm going to have a normal life. Mm-hmm. Until six months later, a mental illness came out. She her hit... mental illness? Yeah, she said... She said, look, I'm older than you. I feel more comfortable if we got married. I said, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do it. Didn't have a green card at the time. But she was American. She was. She was. Uh, she she had a green card. She was from okay. Korea originally. So I come home from work one night after we married. Shower curtain, bus open, like in psycho. She goes, mm, trying to slice my man parts off with a Ginsu knife. Wow. Yeah, she, we got her on. I'm thinking, all right. Every man in the room has just <laughs> looked up. <laughs> I figured you got married to someone. You got an issue. You love them. You gotta work through it. Went to the doctor, he put her on Zoloft. Everything was fine, I thought it was over. A year later, a sister comes over from Korea. I'm working stockbroker in the high rise near the top, living in this little building near the bottom. Three days later, I'm come home from work. Sister's been cooking and stuff, and everything's been happy. Wife's got this look on her face, like she wants to kill me again. I'm like, what's the matter? My sister threw the medicine away. She said it was Western poison, and you're in a conspiracy with my doctor to try and kill me with it. Right. So I'm like, no, no, that's not the case. She runs around, starts smashing everything up, throws plates at me. Plate smashes the jagged, at the coffee table glass into these jagged pieces. I've got to be up for work the next day. Five o'clock in the morning, I've got to be up. Six o'clock sales meeting. <coughs> Lock myself in my bedroom, leave them to it. Get up at five, wake up, they're asleep. Have my shower, have a piss, brush my teeth, get my suit on. I'm going through the living room, about to open the door. 
wife's eyes just do the Dracula thing, bust open. She launches at me like a cat, mouth first, former man parts, misses my dick, bites a hole in my suit so there's cloth dangling off her teeth, starts to smash things up again. And I'm thinking, shit, what am I going to do? I've got to get to work. So I, I lock myself in the bedroom again, call the cops, say, look, can you take my wife to a mate, um, one of her mate's houses? She's gone ballistic. I've got to get to work. I thought, put the cops to some use. So they come out, two redneck cops, come out the bedroom. They're looking at my wife. She's lying on the floor, drooling, crying. Her sister's knelt over her, doing the sign of the cross, praying. <laughs> <laughs> These redneck cops are like, God damn, what's going on in here? I explained. This fucking guy. <laughs> I explained. She'd thrown the medicine away. They're all right, we'll take her to the friend's house. They leave, thinking, all right, it's all over. I sit on the sofa. I always knew Yoko Ono was something wrong with her, honestly, I swear. Pick up the phone. I call the office. They're about to tell them it's, I'm going to be late for work. Front door bursts open. She's given the cops a slip. She comes running in, grabs the iron from the countertop. She's about to plant it into my skull. Wow. I've got just enough time to go like this and block her. She bounces off me, lands on the coffee table that she smashed into jagged pieces the night before. All the glass sticks in her and blood squirting out of her. And the cops come running in. And they're like, what have you done to her? So next thing, I'm outside with 10 cops in a circle. They're about to arrest me. A police woman comes forward. She said, no, he called this in so this wouldn't happen. Look at him. He's the victim of domestic violence. I had scratches all over my face, my neck. All my shirt was ripped. Scratches yeah. all over my body. But she's just ran off after you. <laughs> that, the clue could have been when they lost yeah. a hold of her. She's, she's, uh, yeah. I'm getting... Do you know how she's... Did, did she look Asian, this woman? Oh, yeah, yeah, Korean. No, because no, I'm imagining... Have you ever seen, like... Um, is it The Ring or those Japanese sort of horror films where they're like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, 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 ah. <laughs> 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 I tell you what, man, this is the maddest fucking podcast ever. And then, so I, didn't, I didn't even learn my lesson. I married the next one. I didn't marry it in the technical sense in a court. She collected serial killer books. How did you meet this one? All right. So after the, after the last one, went yeah. to a nightclub. Are, are you are you back partying now? So I, I'm, yeah, this has got my stress. That up. would turn me to drugs. Stress back up now. Stress level back up. Not mm. making excuses. Decide to go back to drugs. Mm. At a club, meet a woman. She's a former Calvin Klein model. Um, been in a car crash, got addicted to painkillers, and is now addicted to crystal meth, and he's packing a handgun. Right. <laughs> and I thought that was exciting. Meth, meth does uh, fuck the appearance, though, doesn't it? Eventually. Eventually, yeah, yeah. yeah. The it, you know the chemicals take the enamel off your teeth, uh, and it comes out your skin. So like, I've seen these before meth and after meth pictures. Yeah. yeah. And it's unbelievable how bad it makes people yeah. look. Yeah. yeah. Well, she was still she was stunning, mm. and um, so you know I was I was all over her, and um, of one of the things that attracted me to her was. When we first met, I went over to her house. She couldn't move the waterbed. She just pulls this gun out and just starts shooting the water, shooting the waterbed. Mm. So I'm now thinking I'm living in like it's, a... some, it's something about him. It's like I need you to come over to my house to move the bed. Yeah, you know, yeah, people see you in your removal service. Today. He looks like he can move some shit. That's yeah, ironically. So as you can imagine, oh, all right, we didn't get married in the court. She collected serial killer books. She loved um, natural born killers. Yeah. So we went to this area a beautiful area in you're not reading Arizona. the signs at this point are you no no I'm on drugs it's, it's just saying yeah go with it 
So <laughs> she gets a razor blade out and just slashes our hands and, and co-mingles our blood. That was how we how she wanted to do it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you were you were married by blood. By to... blood bond. Okay. Yep. Uh, and how did that one? Well, that one escalated, you know, with the drugs that we Naturally. were both doing, and it didn't work out very well. And then the third one came along. Um, she what? Done... no, it didn't. Uh, <laughs> how, how, didn't work out very well. It's like the bed just arguments wasn't moved. or just yeah arguments. Yeah, arguments. I'm staying out all night with mates on drugs. She's not digging that. No. Um, she eventually settled down and got a real estate license, and I continued to escalate into oh, the drug right. community. So she... Yeah. Okay, so how did you meet the third wife? Could have put the brakes on, but I didn't listen. Uh huh. Yeah. Third one was this is the the, lesbi- <laughs> the lesbian yeah bond, yeah uh, I was I was getting together with a woman at a rave yeah it was um, I think she was like half Asian half American her name was Peppa and she was um, <laughs> 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 she said I've got I've got a woman I've got Rudge. a woman that I want you to meet I think you'll fall in love with her she's one of <laughs> she's one of my mates I'm going to bring her down from Tucson oh. and she did she just brought her down and. Um, she had done chemistry at university. I'm thinking that could come in handy for manufacturing MDMA. Sure. And then I found were you into that at that point? So you were sort of into manufacturing drugs by then? Or? My MDMA was getting manufactured in Holland. I did have a guy who was uh, manufacturing LSD. Oh, so yeah. we're going to have to we've retrace skipped a few the, things there. Yeah. Let's, let's wait. Because not many people say my MDMA was getting manufactured in Holland. Yeah. So, so you're you're making a shit ton of cash at this point when you meet her. When you finally meet the third girl, yeah. this is when the money's rolling in and you are balling out of control. You've got everything yeah. going. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I know, I'll make my own stash, my own gear. Is that is that what come to your head? Or did you meet people who told you... You know, why don't you tr- do this, do that? Yeah. Was there anyone who you met? Who... It's a function of profit margin. So as you go higher up the drug right. scale, you want to operate in a way that's going to maximize your profits. Because I had this business studies degree, so I'm applying on my business studies degree knowledge. For example, I had, a, my, my, I had about 200 people working for me. Each was in a faction. Each faction had a head, and we'd have like crime family dinner each month where the heads of each factions would go. But get back to your question, let me just go back how I started out. So in the beginning... I'm just hooking my mates up with ecstasy and um, I'm showing off basically. I've got the most money and buying friends mm. and you attract a lot of people when you're giving drugs away for free. Fuck, you will. So then I start to see the business potential of it. You know, it, it's $25, $30 a hit. It's going for on the streets and the clubs in Arizona. What, that's for one ecstasy? For one pill. So I'm thinking, all right, I'll buy 50 or 100 from the local dealers and see how it goes as an experiment. And, you know, we, 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 made, we made some bank. But that's all they could supply us with, 50 to 100, the local dealers. But you, you already had millions off of the stock. I know. So it wasn't, to be doing it. it wasn't a necessity. It no. was just greed at this just point. Just greed. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And emotional immaturity. I'm thinking I'm, I'm somebody, I'm, I'm a character now in this scene. Mm. So local dealers could only give us 50 to 100 pills. So I, right, I'm going to find out where they're getting it. Started getting out of LA then. LA, I can get 500 to 5,000. So for a year or so, I'm going through LA. And then it's just getting bigger and bigger. So we need to get more and we need to get the price down. So I send people out to Holland and they hooked up with the guys in Holland. And then the price comes down in Holland slowly, you know, like $4 a pill, including the, the whole cost of the mission, sending people out there, down to like $3, down to like $2. And it gets to the point where they basically say, we can manufacture your own pill and put your own press on it and do your own design on it and stuff like that. Which the ego, <clears throat> egomaniac in you would have, would have loved, I would assume, at that point, because it's yours. Yeah. You're making your own thing. Yeah. Was that right? Or I didn't actually pursue that option. Oh. I didn't. I thought if I did a press that was my pill, 
that's basically a red flag for yeah. the cops. So you're going to be all over that. Didn't do I actually that. thought about putting the rival Sammy the Bull Gravano's <laughs> people on, on the press, something yeah. to do with them. <laughs> as, as if to throw everybody off. Yeah. It's very clever, if you yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you got to the point where just before that, and you stopped there and sort of thought, So you nah, just got a cheap. I'm not going to put a press on it anymore. You were just getting yeah. it cheap. <laughs> I was getting it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Yeah. How many, what, How you? can you remember the most amount you ever bought in one go? Yeah, totally. 30, 40,000 pills. And here's the thing, you can't do this if anyone's watching and thinks they can do this. This was pre-9-11. Yeah. So I would send people... Uh, we, we don't recommend it regardless of 9-11, <laughs> but especially not, after that, yeah. don't do it. Yeah, we're not, we're not saying... This isn't a handbook in how to do this. But 40... Th- go on. Going. But go on. Yeah. I, I, had, I had lawyers giving me advice on, on smuggling methods. As you're taking drugs with them, essentially. You're giving the lawyers drugs. Mm. I'm sending them business. People yeah. are getting arrested. Because right. part of the legal benefits of my organisation was if you get busted, you get a lawyer, you get bailed out, yeah. and you keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Don't sweat it because we're going to give you everything possible to help you. Yeah. If you've not got a criminal record, you're not going to do any time. You don't need to snitch. Yeah. So you're... All right, um, violence-wise, you're not a gangster, but you're operating in almost every way as a gangster at this point. When you go up that hierarchy... You're going to bump heads with gangsters like Sammy the Bull Gravano, underboss of the Gambino crime family. He'd murdered almost two dozen people. And his son told me he'd been dispatched one night to kidnap me from a nightclub and take me out to the desert. He told me that later on in prison. I didn't know because I'm still on the drugs at the time. Oh. So when I was sober and I heard that, I'm like, <coughs> what, have you, what have you just done for the last 10 years? How could you put yourself in all these dangerous situations? Because you were their competitor at this point. I was their competitor. At that point, anything goes. But because I had the protection of the new Mexican mafia, I'm thinking I can get away with things. How did you get that protection? All right. As I'm rising up in the ecstasy business... Did you ever touch any other drugs? Sorry to interrupt again. Well, as I had 200 people working for me... Those people were we did we did build up and deal some other drugs within the club scene as right. well. Exy was the main thing. Mm. That was my trademark product. So you're rising up in that business. <clears throat> so I'm at an apartment party, and it's like in a town called Tempe near Phoenix, which is like a university town. So the students and clubbers in there smoking weed, doing coke, and I've come to supply some ecstasy. And there's a Mexican American guy, rugged looking dude, got the prison tats, and he's come to supply some marijuana and some coke. So we're just we're just bonding and talking. I'm just getting to meet this guy, and he seems pretty cool. He's laid back. He didn't come across as menacing. And then a policeman just walks in. He's like, I can smell the weed. Nobody move. And he's reaching for his radio, and he's, he's about to call it in and have us all arrested. So the Mexican guy I'm talking to just pulls out his gun, points it at the cop. The only one who's not leaving is you, motherfucker. Everyone go. So we all just run out into the night. So I'm crapping myself. I've not been in anything like as heavy as this. Right. I go to a mate's apartment who's dealing e for me in the same complex, and we're sat in there, police cars everywhere, sirens, helicopters out. Next thing, bang, 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 bang. It's the dude, the Mexican, the American dude. He's on. A, he's at the French window. Let me in. Let me in. So we're all like, we're right, we open the door. Let him in. And then he schools us. He's like, if the police come, they can't just walk in. You just don't answer the door. They got to have a warrant. They've just been sent out. They don't have a warrant. They can't come in. So if they if they knock, just don't answer. So we just stayed in there in the dark, police everywhere, wait till they left. And I said to him at the end of it, I said, "Look, you you're hot in this area. Why don't I just take you to my house tonight so while things cool down?" Still didn't know who he was, and um, I did. And we started hanging out. And he said, "Look, Sean, because you and your friends protected me that night, my brothers are going to have your back." Didn't know what that meant. Right. 
months later, he says, my brother's finally want to meet you. So I go over to this street in Tempe. There's all these low-rider show cars on the street. His brother answers, head shaved, um, short guy, stocky. He's just looking at me. And like they, they all had mean looks, these guys, like the prison looks. And I go in, I go through, and all these massive Mexican-American guys, tats, wife beaters, shorts down below the knees, chains. And they're just like, you know, look, who's this skinny English guy? And they're like, the, 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 the main guy, the guy who answered his brother, so that's buzzing off my accent. And I look over in the living room, they've got the biggest TV I've ever seen. <laughs> they've got this CCTV screen as well, looking at all the, the cars on the street. And then on top of the TV is a rocket propelled grenade launcher. Mm. I'm thinking, oh shit, man. A what, grenade launcher on what, the telly. What am I it's into? not how I usually would decorate a TV, not. but. Yeah. What am I into here? What am I getting Each into? Each of the road. So I, I shit myself. <laughs> and, but they wanted to try E. So they're all looking at me. One of them. To be fair. I, if I would as you, I would have been handed out like fucking Tic Tacs, mate, because it sounds like it would have made them a lot nicer. Yeah, that, that first night, yeah. they tested me that this. first night. I went in there, the, the, one of the biggest ones, he just shoved a bunch of coke in my face and said, snort this, because if, you, if you're not, if you're not going to snort it, you're a cop or whatever. And um, I snorted it. And um, I, I come to find out later on, he, he was one of the main killers for that organisation, for the New Mexican Mafia. Right. And I didn't know it, and I was dealing with them for, for a couple of years. And when I took the ecstasy over the first time, they were they, they called me back. They said we've run out of pills. Come over, <laughs> went over. And they were all smiling and giggling, hugging me, <laughs> hugging me, and picking me up, picking me up. And this guy's made us feel fucking great. <laughs> yeah. Best friend. So it was, it was two years later. I was because the Mexican American guy were protected from the police. He became one of my protectors, and I, I took him over to his brother's house a couple of years later. Whole street was blacked out. Police were out with the light ones, directing traffic. And we'd all, we were all, if we'd have come early, we'd have been part of the raid. The feds had raided them. And it was headline news, showed all the pictures. New Mexican Mafia, most violent, dangerous criminal organization in Arizona, murder for hire, tried to assassinate the head of the prison system, assassinate uh, cops, witnesses, trying to assassinate judges, all this, all this kind of stuff. Wow. I didn't, I didn't even know until that night. How were you so ignorant to that? How did you... Well, I knew they were heavy because of the rocket propelled grenade launcher, but I did not know they were <laughs> called the New Mexican Mafia. Yeah. yeah. So people knew I was associated with them, and then that, that got me protection. And so there were a lot of... There, there wasn't just one gang in this area, there were a lot of rival gangs. The drugs business is split in Arizona between the Mexican-American gang, which is the New Mexican Mafia, who were born in America and the Mexican gangs out of Mexico. Mm -hmm. And they're actually at, at war with each other generally, especially in the prison system. Because mm. the coke and the drugs comes in across the border. Arizona's on the border, so a lot of it comes in. Massive money, amounts of money being made. And then you've got the Aryan Brotherhood, you've got the biker gangs who like manufacture crystal meth on a smaller scale than the Mexicans. Yeah, the biker gangs are the ones who do meth a lot on the... Yeah, yeah. And so, they're also white supremacists? Yes. Right. Yeah. Just checking. Yeah. Uh, and so you're in with these guys just now. Checking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. I love that. Just checking. You're in with these guys. You're in with these guys at this point. You've got swastikas on them. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you say to them. It's a dead oh, giveaway usually. You're white supremacists. Okay, just checking. Um, and so you're in with these guys at this point. Yeah. And it's not like you can sort of go, I'd rather go with them. No, once you're in. Once you're in. You're, you're in. in. Is that right? Yeah. Once you're in, you're in. In my naivety, though, I didn't fully understand the magnitude of that yet. Right. As someone who was just getting started in the XC business. Now, you might stand out a little bit in a Mexican group. Yeah. You, yeah. Um, 
Do you, were you the only white guy there? Oh, I didn't hang out with them. I was just going to deliver my E. If they wanted E, I'll get some weed off them for my mates mm-hmm. and, and, and go, and yeah, fuck off. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was hanging out in the I'm race. amazed here. My guys. In, in Arkansas. In Arizona. In Arizona. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. amazed here that you're a suit and tie multi-millionaire and for some reason your agreed has ended up with you mixing with people like that when you you were done you were safe you were sound you had enough money to last you the rest of your life just keep going the way you are and because you want to go down this road you're now getting involved in people who could kill you without thinking not even giving a fuck mm. any moment the sex and drugs was way too exciting for me <clears throat> do you know what it is we can just clip that there because I, that's it that's enough for me I understand yeah. it's made it, I understand now a lad in the 20s testosterone yeah. going crazy um, but you so you went from drugs you went from the, the stock, mar- stock market to drugs how did that happen? Like well I started you- as a drug user as a teenager in the rave scene in this country Transferred that over to America as a participant originally in the rave scene, but then I saw the business potential. Started throwing raves. Was the rave scene similar there, or was it different sort of... In America, what happens is, if something breaks out in Europe, it comes in on the coast side, so it comes into New York, comes into LA, and it filters in slowly. Um, And sometimes it never gets to the the heartland. Um, So it was behind a few years in Arizona, and... I got in with the people who have, you know, the progenitors of that scene and I became what was called the Bank of England to them because I had all this money and I was financing the parties and I was financing clothing stores, rave music clothing stores and stuff like that. You're also quite authentic in, in a sense because you you came from the rave scene in England. Yeah. You knew all about it. Yeah. You knew about all the big DJs, you know about all the big music. And all these tapes and everything, all these flyers. So you're yeah. really authentic. To yeah, yeah, You're totally. the guy who knows all about it. So you can it. recreate it. In Arizona. I, I was part of the recreation of it. Uh, yeah. Wow. Fuck me. And, yeah. But at that time, you're also still trading on the stock market. Well, I went from being a stockbroker to quitting that and getting full-time into the rave scene and doing some internet trading for myself during the dot-com bubble. And are you making money from the rave scene as well? Oh, God, yeah. I was making a lot. You know, if you bring in 40,000 pills, here's how it works if you're the... The guy who's wholesaling it. That's a lot of money. You, you will front them out to your guys, to the, each faction, at, say, $8 a pill to $10 a pill. And then the head of the faction, he'll give them to his dealers at, like, 15 And then the dealers will go out and sell them in the clubs for 20 to 30 Doubling. And so you... And then how much do you see of that? I'm seeing whatever I've paid. Say, say my total cost to Holland is, like, $3 a pill. I'm getting 10 so I get seven get times 40,000. Yeah. Which is a good return. 280,000, yeah. is it? Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. But then you got are people going to get jacked and you got your legal expenses and, your, and all that kind of thing as well. So okay. that, that, eat, that eats into it. That's And so at that point, you have a group of how many of these guys who are running loads of dealers for you? I say I've got about 20 factions. Okay. Yeah. And so if you're, you know if you're getting, so you're saying one faction would do one run for you? Not necessarily the fact the runners were separate from the factions. Yeah. I had specific people who were mules. How are you getting them in? They're swallowing the pills, bringing them in, or they're no, bringing them in, no. in cases? What are you, how are you oh, yeah, bringing we, we those never, in? We never, we never covered that. No, either, we didn't we? know. Before 9-11, you could do this. You could get on a plane yeah. and just throw pills into pillowcases, put them in your luggage. <laughs> or if you want it to be more secure, computer tower, screw the pills into the tower. Yeah. 
and then get, and get them on the plane. It. But you have to do it through a, a, a clever route. If you send someone to Holland from Phoenix and they get on a plane and do this and come right back, bam, yeah. they're busted. So I had legal advice, didn't I? So the lawyers said, best thing to do was have your people fly out there and then um, go over by train to like France or Germany. Right. Get her France to Mexico City. Get a flight from Mexico City to Hermosillo, which is near Tijuana, which is where I've got my ex Mexican operations based mm -hmm. in, in, in that state. Um, Rocky Point, I had property in Rocky Point on the coast there in Mexico. And then we transfer the pills then over to other smugglers who bring them over the Arizona border. Right. It helps if there's something like spring break. Because right. at spring break, all the students are down there. The border's People overwhelmed. People are traveling constantly. Yeah, the border's overwhelmed. Yeah, they're not wanting to hold everyone up, searching everyone every There's no five wall, seconds. is there? <laughs> you know, there's, and you guys can just basically, once you're in, once you're in uh, Arizona, you're absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. So I had people who specialised in smuggling as well. Yeah. There's so many questions aren't there. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to know. You know, do you have memories where specific nights where you, you you must have felt like you were king of the fucking world? Like, can you remember those highs? After, I mean, I know things got pretty low after this, but you don't want to glamorize it. No, but, but yeah. you you must have had nights where you felt like the fucking ecstasy version of Scarface for Christ's sake. Yeah, like I'd hire these rooms at the Hilton in Scottsdale mm. that were like massive. They had like a studio, you could have a DJ in there, almost like a big room and. People roller skating around and doing all weird shit. There was two. This really was the late nineties. There was wasn't two it? wings. There was two wings on either side with jacuzzis in them, and um, like I mentioned, I had this a bisexual wife, so we would get on. And she's inviting all her friends. She's inviting friends, other uh, porn stars, presumably. <laughs> Not only that, I had a mate, and we called her the head of the department of dykes. And this 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 girl, um, Sally Wack, we'll call her. Wherever we went, whatever party, she she would be like, I'll, I can nail any girl before you guys and I'll have them back to the after party and we'll be doing dyke triangles and all this kind of stuff. And it was just... <laughs> What's a dyke triangle? <laughs> you. Yeah. Just... Total tale. Connection. Free love, do you know what I'm saying? And so... No restrictions. Those parties in the hill. I mean, how do you get away with that in the Hilton? Like the Hilton just money. like and the Hilton, the Hilton you must just have money. I was one of the best customers. The amount of money you spent yeah. there with that, that's expected at this point. Five hundred a night, and I just pay for two nights. We'd be so high, we might keep it going. I just I just roll a skate, roll a boot up to the reception with my shades on. Here's another five hundred for another day, and they're they just positive. I think they wanted to join in. Is that not very? Is that not <laughs> the quite, people on the reception? Why is it come party with us? Is that not quite conspicuous in that part of town though? Because that that area doesn't strike me as sort of like the biggest. You know, not everyone's a raver in that area. Yeah, I took it out of. No. I, I knew where the heat was. The heat was on me in Tempe. wasn't <laughs> Wasn't in Scottsdale. So I, I, was like an, I was like an eccentric English wealthy dude. Right. Who's done um, markets? Uh, yeah, stock, so stock market whiz. Kind you of had guy, the perfect yeah? cover story yeah. because yeah. you had clean money, as they call it. It's money that wasn't earned by that. Paul McCartney's well. cousin yeah. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Must be fucking. But just to deglamorize that, let me give you another situation. I got in. Went to a party one time, got so high, put my head through a plasterboard wall, almost missed a nine-inch nail that could have gone into my skull. Mates took me home, can't remember, but woke up the next day covered in puke, puke all over the carpet bed. It's stained the carpet. I call a carpet cleaner, comes out of his specialty chemicals to get this stain out. He's trying to get rid of it, and he's looking at me, and he's shaking his head. He's like, Sean, 
whatever chemicals you had in your body are so strong, I can't get them out of your carpet. So, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I'm, I'm still alive. And, and obviously we're going to go into what happened afterwards, but you don't take drugs anymore, you no, know. don't even drink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You often find people who've gone to that extreme don't even drink after they've come out of it all. They don't. Even. I mean, because drink is seen to be harmless by comparison to that, is what I'm saying. Sure. But they often don't feel the need for anything once you've been to that extreme. Do you know what I'm saying? I had to go deep inside myself and address the root causes of why I'd taken drugs in the first place in prison. Right. And the therapist helped me understand it started out with me self medicating for PTSD from almost getting beat to death mm. by the drunks. I didn't understand any of that, and I just exacerbated my own problem by just getting to these drug um, club drug cocktails. By the end of it, I was on crystal meth, ketamine, GHB, ecstasy. GHB. All these my Mex- dad used to take that. It, it just makes you a fucking. You just you're not even aware of anything, are you? And what is that? Well, you can you can conk out on it, but I yeah. did it in a in a way that I learned how to get the right dose and I really enjoyed GHB <laughs> yeah. the most after ecstasy I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So what is what is GHB? Gamma hydroxide butamate. Bodybuilders took it because it relaxed them. Right. Yeah. My dad um, was a bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But it it got made illegal after someone drank it and I think they mixed it with alcohol and then they ran over a cop. Right. So it became this illegal thing. You could get it from the gay bars then. Because it relaxes so much, it loosened the sphincter, <laughs> and it was perfect for anal and sex. sex right. So I had the muscle boys out of the gay bars um, supplying me the GHB. Mm. Yeah. And so you are, you, you know, you've got you're surrounded by drugs, surrounded by people who are quite reliant on, on you. I'd imagine yeah. all these people are coming yeah. to you for to, to deal drugs, mm-hmm. to go for all the big parties. Yeah. You're the number one guy in town, basically. Yeah. When yeah. you were watching Wolf of Wall Street, just because we're not <laughs> at the point where things went tits up, but it, it does go pretty bad. Yeah. Were you watching the Wolf of Wall Street thinking to yourself, fuck me, this is bringing back some memories. Yeah, smile and dial. Um, we had to stand up and pace while we were on the phones mm-hmm. with the long telephone extension cords. You're only as big as your numbers are out on the month. If your commissions aren't at the top of this board, you need to stop calling your girlfriend, stop calling your wives. If you're not calling people, other brokers are calling your people. Oh, yeah, it was like, you know, boot camp, basically. Mm. And it was very competitive, very precious. Shit, yeah. So what I find unusual is putting yourself, someone who's quite anxious, someone who's quite socially awkward, in that environment. Because my greed to make a million overrode that social anxiety okay. and because I was on the phone I wasn't really face to face with people so I you could handle just, that yeah. yeah it's almost like it's not real at yeah, that point it was really a great coping mechanism you had a lot of ways to get around your anxiety is what you've and I can't believe when someone first sent me 10 grand over a phone call, after a phone call through the mail I was like oh, yeah, this actually works yeah, yeah. Do you, looking back uh, do you feel like if that young lad who had the insecurities and anxiety had have had therapy then before you started using drugs, do you think you might never have gone down the drug route because those different issues things have... could have influenced me and sent me on a different path? My drugs education back then was a video of an egg frying in a pan, and I'm saying this is your drug. On, this, this is your, your brains brain on, on drugs. drugs. Yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah, So I didn't add up. I went out took ecstasy at the time of my life. Thought, yeah, this is cool. I didn't see what comes at you down that road. You love boiling that egg at that point. Right? <laughs> I, mean, I love a fried egg. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so where did it all go wrong then at, at the point? All right, I met a, a, a lovely woman um, a couple of years before the SWAT team came. And about a year in, she taught me our dealing. She said, this is so dangerous for us. 
I want you to stop. And I loved her so much. I stopped the dealing. Thought I got away with it. <coughs> How did you get away from that? Because it's not the kind of thing where you just go, right, stop there, see ya. What happened was my whole business collapsed with the stock market collapse after the dot-com bubble. So the bubble burst in the burst. Financially, yeah, my, I was I, I plummeted. And um, I was I was pulling away from it, but I couldn't stop going out on, on the weekend with my mates. My best mate was over there, a wild man from my hometown. <laughs> He was hardcore, and I couldn't stop going out of him on the weekends and getting high. He was from England. Yeah, he's from wow. Widnes as well. He's like 25 stone, his nose is pointing over here, his fists are covered, teeth marks all the fights he's had. He, he was a good man to get arrested with, let's put it this way. And um, We all know someone like that. <laughs> I thought I got away with it, you know. They won't, not, if they catch me now, there's no drugs or anything. But I was naive to what's called the statute of limitations. All it takes is someone within seven-year period to say to the police, this guy sold me drugs and they've got you. Really? Yeah, so 10 witness, witnesses came forward and that was their case. And they, suppose, wire, they wiretapped us and then they got us. And the police are asking people, did so, this guy sell you drugs you at say, that point? You yeah, were targeted. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd stop dealing drugs by yeah. this point. Yeah. But were they, financially, did you still have people on payroll and things no, like that? No, I was, down, I was down to six figures at this point. Right. I'd blasted through everything. And how many millions do you reckon <sighs> you went through? I was giving away like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of exit pills on the weekends to my friends, just pissing the money away like crazy, getting limo rides to the corner store and just showing off. Yeah, so I can't millions. even. I can't even imagine. It's millions. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you have yeah. a? Do you cringe a little bit at the way you used to go on? Just, yeah, I do. do, I do. I especially feel ride. I should have bought my parents a house in Spain and stuff like that. Uh, but I thought it was gonna. I was gonna build it back up again. Yeah. I thought I was outsmarting the cops. Flew people over, put money in their names. How the cops going to get that? The police put a net bus Trojan horse in my computer. Right. So the day I was arrested, they took everything. Everything? Yep. All right. So and that everything. becomes the states. Oh, yeah. War on drugs is a business model. They target wealthy people. So if you're stupid enough to be wealthy and committing crimes, they, they would love to take everything you've got. My pension as a stockbroker, everything. I mean, we could get onto the whole war on drugs conversation, but that's not really part of your story, is it? So, I, it definitely influenced it. So take us to the day the SWAT team arrived. So I get up, get on the computer... And um, it's like six, seven in the morning. I'm putting a trade in. And then I hear this noise on the stairs outside. I'm in this apartment in Scottsdale. And bang, 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 bang. So I'll go to the door. It's blacked out. First thing I'm thinking, all right, it could be two things. It could be the cops or it could be someone who knows my name, thinks I've got money from the drug community has come to rob me. Which one are you thinking it is? Which one are you hoping it is at this point? Perhaps the latter. Yeah. Because I could deal with that better. Um so I go to the window, police cars everywhere, marksmen with rifles. I'm like, oh shit, go through to the bedroom. Girlfriend's getting out of bed. I'm like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Better, let, better open the door, let them in. We get halfway through the living room. Boom. Door just bam, 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 flies off the hinges, bounces against the wall. They all just open up with the guns then. Hands above your heads, don't move, get on the ground. I just about crap myself, get down really fast. I'm thinking, you know, heart's, heart almost jumps out my chest. If they start shooting, my life's over. So you get down fast, and then they just crush you and cuff you. And eventually I was yanked up by the, the detective, who I learned was my nemesis from the police paperwork. And he's like, you're a big name from the rave scene, English Sean. We've got you. You know, we know this raid is going to justify this, and, and you're going down, basically. And at that point, what are you feeling? I'm thinking... Fuck, everything I've done wrong now, it's caught up with me. Chicken's coming back to roost. There's no way 
my karma wasn't going to have to be repaid. Yeah. But to be honest, I was for the first year pining to get back to the lifestyle and get high. Right. I was missing my big house, missing my gadgets, missing my sports car, twin turbo, missing my plasma screen TV, all this stuff. I was still a material character. And um, it took my second year in the jail when I was pushed to the brink of suicidal insanity for me to start seeing the needs of other people and helping prisoners and, and to reflect on my life and to get going this new positive direction. And so you went to trial, and I imagine that was quite easy to pin on you. No, you? I didn't go to trial. You just go straight. You don't prison. go to trial in Arizona because they make an example out of you because it costs the state money to go to trial. Right. Like I said, justicism is a business model. They want you to sign a plea bargain and then just go over to the prison system. The jail is a, a conveyor belt to the prison system. Right. So 98% of the prisoners sign plea bargains. Now, I was the last man standing in my case. I was on sentence for 26 months. They tried to get break all my co-defendants down to snitch against me. And out of over 100 people, only four of them agreed to testify because we were that close. Sammy the Bull's case, he had 50-some co-defendants, and I think they all agreed to testify against him. Wow. Now, second year in, I'm saying, you know, I'm not going to sign a plea bargain. And um, so they think, all right, we're going to increase the pressure on this guy. So they moved me from medium security over to maximum security. Right. Where I don't, I don't know anyone. It's a lot of murderers, a lot of crystal meth chemists. Am I right in thinking they used to, because uh, I, I watched one of your things before you came, and it, they were used to a really sneaky tactic to get you from medium to maximum. Yeah. Where they increased the years that you would have done um, for a specific reason. I thought I was going to get released on bail and uh-huh. fight the case outside. My lawyer said, let's try this. Went to court. And the judge, he ends up doubling my bail to 1.5 million, which means you, if your bail goes over a million, you automatically go to That's right, security. Yeah. That's how they got you. Yeah, right. yeah. And I'm guessing that judges aren't particularly um, kind to, to you at this point. No, I mean, I, I was a drug dealer. I brought it on myself. I wasn't yeah. expecting them to be. No, well, no, but you know what I mean? I was hoping for a break, but people at the end, in of, America the day, know, at the end yeah. of the day. It, I, I, but it, it's not like you were a mass murderer. Uh, you weren't. I was a non-violent criminal. That that yeah. I think that needs to be remembered. Like when you when you sentence someone or give someone a set bail, you're going to put him in with the serial killers, and you are not a violent person in you're, any way. Yeah, you're a different kind of criminal because yeah. you will have had a negative effect on people's lives through them taking drugs, selling drugs, those kind of things. But you didn't yeah. directly go out and stab someone and murder no. someone or force no someone violent, to take there's a no drug. violent charges. Yeah. So. Um, I did end up in Supermax later on through another trick the prosecutor played. Fuck me. That was after I got sentenced, though. So, so took, wait, there's there's um, medium, high, and is Supermax something else? Or is Supermax that? is the most violent, dangerous criminals are housed in Supermax. So can we go through the stages that you went through and, and when it happened? So when you first first went into a, a, a jail, yeah. what was that first day like and how did it feel? All right, when you're first arrested, you go into a processing sequence of cells called the horseshoe and basically this is the new arrestees and you're in these cells for days you don't know what what what, what day it is all you can feel is the heat rising the heat falling and you're crammed in there sardined like 40 50 people fights breaking out there's blood on the walls guards are running in grabbing people people acting up on drugs if you really act up the guards grab you out and put you in a restraint chair it looks like a medieval torture device it's like tilted back they strap you in and they put a, a spit hood on your head and there's people just out there in these chairs just howling and whining sounds like something off a horror film yeah it, it totally was um, and then you get to see the judge and then I got sent over to 
medium security in the beginning, which is completely gang and drug infested. So as soon as I get to my pod, four skinhead dudes, swazzies on them, we need we want a word of you in that cell back there. And you know you can't say no to these because, guys. Because you look like their type of recruit, is that why? No, because I'm white. Everyone who's white has to do this. Whatever race you are, one of the racial gangs is going to do this. There's four right, major okay. gangs, whites, blacks, Mexicans, Mexican-Americans. Right. So the neo-Nazi Aryan Brotherhood gang control the white race. Right. I'm not, I don't know this yet, but I just go do what they say. So I go in the cell and they're like, what are your charges? And I've read my charges. It's on a little printout, but it's all in legalese. I don't understand it. I said, I've got my charges, but I'm not sure what it means. I'm like, what do, what do you mean you don't know what it means? Are you a chomo? Are you a chomo? What's that? Don't know what chomo is either. Right. So I'm digging my grave. It's a child molester. Right. So they've got me up, up the wall about to smash me. And I'm making things worse because I don't know how to behave in a prison. Or what a chomo is. Or what a chomo is. <laughs> yeah. And in the end, I pull out my charge sheet. I'm like, look, look. So they look at it. And they see I've got drug charges. They see my bail is $750,000. And, like, and, wow. and they love that. This guy's important. Yeah, they're like, who did you kill? That was the first thing you're they the said. Because you're an important person instantly with, the, with those numbers. That's what, it, it saved me. It saved my ass right there and then. And nearly everyone in prison is in because of drugs, committing crimes on drugs, busted for drugs. Just, it's nearly all druggies. So they accepted me then. Yeah. They accepted me, but... Luckily, one, you weren't one, a chomo. Yeah, but one of my cell, one of the new guys who came in with me was a suspected chomo. Fuck me. Yeah, so the next day, they, they're asking me about him, and I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know about him, I don't know anything about him. So the next day, I hear somebody getting beat in the, in a, in the shower area, and um, it's the skinhead gang, the ones that question me. And they leave this guy in there, like, but he's still whimpering in a pool of blood. And then this big guy, guy about your size, he's got tattoos, uh, cobwebs on his neck, He's like, how come we can still hear him? And the head of the skinheads, he's like, oh, we smashed him good, dog. And the big guy's, nah, not good enough. So he goes <laughs> in, and it's just like he's trying to crack this guy's head open like it's a coconut, just crack, crack, crack. And the guy looks dead, and a guard does a security walk, and he gets carried out on a stretcher, and there's not just blood coming out of his head, there's like yellow fluid, like brain stuff coming out of his head. Mm. And it was every day then. There was violence. Um, I had to get used to the sounds of heads getting bashed against toilets, bodies getting thrown around, people getting carried on stretches like that. Saw one suspected child molester. They waited until the guard did a security walk so they could have the most amount of time possible with him, tortured him. Yeah. He came out covered in blood from head to toes, walked, managed to get down the stairs, knock on the window to the guards, and he, he, he opened the door and he just, he just collapsed. Um, I saw there was a mentally Ill, Ill old man wouldn't stop rambling so the gangs thought alright we'll shut him up I was walking past him and there was blood just squirting out the back of his head just to clarify uh, you sent me some video clips before yeah. you came yeah. and said just so you can see what I'm going to be talking about tomorrow here are some of the jail footage um, that's on YouTube I'll try and have it put over some of the podcasts but you know, it might be disturbing, so you might want to look away. After some of the other podcasts we've had recently, it's um, worth warning people about that. There are CCTV footage of gang violence going on where people are just being allowed to murder each other in the prison cell, and only 20, 30 minutes later do the guards come in after the lads been lying there dead for God knows how long and actually have a look. And obviously the guards know about this. Not only that, I've got videos on my YouTube channel 
of the guards murdering prisoners mm. in the jail I was at. Yeah. Mentally ill prisoners. There was one that really fucked me up was um, the one video that you sent us with a soldier. Yeah. He was a US soldier who'd been arrested for having an argument in a car park, yeah. uh, which, you know, could happen to anyone. He gets dragged in and for whatever reason, he's not taking any of that shit. And he gets, a, 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 it seems to be a bit of a verbal argument between him and the prison guards. Yeah. And they just choked him out, tears at him to death and just like literally beat the fuck out of him, left him there in, in, a, in a cell on his own. And I'm, I'm watching this footage like fucking hell. And you look, he's not moving. No. And they go back in and they've got, they try to fucking resuscitate him and he's gone. And it's like, you're resuscitating him. You fucking did it to him. You fucking killed him. They killed a blind man, Brian Crenshaw. He, he failed to produce his ID for the evening meal. He's blind. They beat him. Um, but severe, the prison guards, Prison yeah. guards, severe internal injuries, went to a coma, died if, over a month they, later. If they're the fucking guards for the prison, it makes you fucking wonder, like, doesn't it? S Scott Norberg, mentally ill man, wandering the neighbourhood, they brought him in, started beating him, electrocuting him with tasers. A female guard tried to stop it, stopped beating him, his face has turned blue. They pushed her off, they kept beating him. The prisoners started yelling... Why are you still beating him? He's already dead. Mm -hmm. He turned blue and everything, and they're, they're still beating him. They're still yeah. beating him. He's already dead. And some of those guards were then, the, the, the family members, because it's on CCTV, sued the jail and got compensation. Uh -huh. and, <sighs> and, and the boss of the jail, what do you guys think he did to the, some of the guards who have held responsible in federal court for those, those deaths? He promoted them. Yeah. Gave them a, yeah. Promotions and pay rises. Fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> if... This is where obviously England and America differ massively because if that happened in England, well, you'd hope and you'd think that usually the guy in charge would be instantly dismissed and sacked and they would put a new face in his position. Yeah. It is, there is something funny, not funny, it, it, there is something unusual about jail, isn't it? I mean, everyone goes back to the, um, you know, the social scientist who made all the people act out of the jail and some people the prisoners, some people the guards. Yeah, milligrams. Yeah. It's, yeah. it, it, it's not like that's not the end goal of a jail, is it? But for some reason, that happens in well, in theory, prison. it's supposed to rehabilitate people. Well, I mean, but... in theory, I mean, in, at the very base, it's supposed to keep the people who have done bad things apart from the people who have done good things. But for some reason, what's happened in the American prison system, and the worry is it could happen in England as well if the if people continue to go down this route is that it's corrupted as a system, and now it's doing the opposite of what because it's of money. To do. And you you hit it on the head. Basically, prisons were designed and the police were started by Robert Peel out of London to stop person A hurting person B. Murder, robbery, rape. That's how crime has been defined for millennia. Yeah. Drug laws were introduced in the last century and the, the private prisons were introduced and they gave, started giving them $50,000 a year of taxpayers' money per prisoner. Who are the easiest people to arrest to fill our prisons up to maximise our profits? Young people with weed. Yeah. Almost a million arrests a year, young people with weed. Not dealers, possession. Black people especially, uh, the racism is off the scale. And women became the fastest growing prison population. Women don't belong in prison, yeah. but because of drug laws, they did. So that's, that's what we've had in America, and that's why America's got one in 100 adults in prison, one in 20-something adult black guys are in prison, more than were held under slavery before slavery was abolished, if you include probation and parole. Fuck me. Yeah. And part, uh, because I was listening to a podcast the other day, actually, uh, after we'd spoken about drugs with a couple of guests in a row, and they were talking about how drug laws, I mean, this ties in somewhat to what you're saying there, are also made by certain people who want to keep certain uh, factions. People they want so when Chinese to keep people the wheel were, spinning, don't well, they? Well, when Chinese people were first in LA, 
Chinese people, their community did certain kinds of drugs. So the people in LA made those illegal. So they were stealing the jobs people. during economic downturn. So yeah. let's target the Chinese with opium laws. That's how drugs laws started in, in California. Yeah, exactly. And then the federal level, it came about in the early 1900s. And that was to protect the banks who had invested in pharmaceuticals, plastics, um, oil, and all these industries that were competing against hemp. So they said, let's change the name of hemp to marijuana because it's Mexican. We'll harness the racism and let's start putting black people and Mexicans in prison. Because they used to use hemp for all sorts of things. like um, Thousands of industrial uses. It's actually a really uh, multi-purpose tool, isn't it really? This podcast isn't sponsored by hemp, by the way. Uh, (laughs) But they they were making like tents out of it and clothes out of it and all sorts of things. And then a racist drug czar called Harry Anslinger basically went to the United Nations. This was a guy who was telling everybody, black men on cocaine or marijuana want to rape every white woman in sight. The main reason for making these drugs illegal is its effect on the degenerate races. He went to the United Nations and said, every country in the world is signing on for this or else America's not going to trade with you. Mm. That's why the world's got all these drug laws. Because of the war on drugs. Because, yeah. of, because of America, this comes from this drug czar, this racist drug czar. And now I think, I mean, it's very difficult at the time to socially break things down like the war on drugs and those sort of things because it was packaged up as a really good social thing. And looking back now in retrospect. They called it reefer madness, didn't they? Yeah, you'll, kill, you'll axe murder your parents if you smoke some <laughs> weed. But at the time, people painted this as, you know, it's, it's wrong. You know, we need to get rid of this from our society and the war on drugs will make us a good society. Well, it was, it, the racism was such that um, they steeped it in that and that's how they sold it. Yeah. They, the, the, the cops, um, the, the media type <laughs> at the time, William Randolph Hearst, he put articles out saying a black man on cocaine has superhuman strength. Yeah. And if you shoot him, a cop tried to shoot a black man in the heart with a normal bullet and he didn't die because he had this superhuman strength on cocaine. The police got so scared all across America they demanded higher caliber bullets to kill black men on cocaine with superhuman strength. It's fucking insane, this. Yeah. And it, it makes you think why, I mean, obviously we know why now that they're raking in so much money oh, off the, of private the private prisons, prisons and all that shit. But um, they, they have to readdress these laws because if they were passed on that basis, it's, a, it's, a, it's laughable, isn't it? Well, that's it? why weed has been decriminalized in America because Obama's maintained it as a Schedule One substance, more harmful than cocaine and as harmful as, as um, heroin with no medicinal value because he's protecting these corporate interests it's at the state level that people have voted to make it legal that's, that's the people and so uh, obviously the government at this point they aren't really in control of the situation are they? well the government represents who's got the most money yeah. look who's putting up the money to keep the drug laws going it's the tobacco companies the pharmaceutical alcohol companies well. and alcohol it, it, if, this if, is serious books yeah. if, if weed got legalised for example how many people would drink less alcohol smoke less tobacco and, and, and in general the medical companies who are trying to give out uh, painkillers and all of that they would suffer as well because weed would target so many of those yeah. people it's moral relativism uh-huh. what gives the cops and the judges and the prosecutors who are hardcore pissed heads from what I've seen the right <laughs> to lock kids up who are smoking weed so getting back to the yeah. prison conditions because I know you've talked about them before and I think it'd be great to hear about that yeah how bad were the prisons there because I know they've got what, some of the worst reputation in the worst, America the worst stuff is, is the rape there's the raping uh, prison rape is so common in America you have to go to a rape class to learn how not to get raped. Right. So basically, you go to this class and you watch a video and they show predators in the day room and the young people come in and some of the young people take sweets from the predators and some don't. And then those who are in debt, they have to repay with sexual 
uh, favours. And the, uh, the conclusion of the video was to stop rape in prisons, it's got to be reported to the police. But one of the gang rules is, which they explain to you when you come in, if you report anything, you're a snitch. Yeah. It's KOS, kill on site for snitches. So you can't report anything. So right after we went to this class, a young mentally ill prisoner was gang raped and nobody reported a thing. Now, the most horrific rape story I heard was from a friend of mine, a transgender friend, I'll call Zena, six and a half foot, charismatic. Um, when Zena first came in, she she wasn't this... Uh, she, I'm going to say she because it's disrespectful to call trans prisoners he. Yeah. Zena believes she's a woman trapped in a man's body. Right. But when she first came in, she was big, clicked up with the gang, at collector, blood in, blood out, was was um, brutalised by them when they'd used her up. So I said, I said to Zena what happened. I said the first time was a gang rape. They beat me unconscious, shoved things inside my body while I was unconscious and, and raped me while I was unconscious. I said... How do you know that they were raping you if you were unconscious? And she said, when she went in the toilet afterwards, she could tell by what came out. Yeah. I said, well, how, how? What did they stick inside your body? A broomstick. So after the rape, she sat in a in a cell, uh, waiting for the scars to go away because you can't report it. Like I said, it, it snitching's kill on sight. She got moved to another yard, got used as a prostitute, and it happened again. And I said, well, you know, how how did you end up stopping this? And she said, I started telling them that I don't care if I live or die anymore. And I started fighting back. When I stood up for myself, I, I was winning the fight and, and they left me alone after that. But she hadn't told me the truth. So Zena had come up with an idea. And the next two times the gang came to rape Zena. First member of the gang to put his hand on Zena. Zena plucked his eyeball out so it was dangling from the optic nerve. Right. Yes, after doing that twice, they left Zena alone, but they moved on to some of her friends. One of her friends, they gang raped him, took a light bulb, shoved it in his backside, played a game to see who could break it the first while it was in this guy's ass. That prisoner then committed suicide afterwards. Another one, they got a shovel from the work crew. They held him down. They cut his head off. And when his head was finally off, they positioned it in an area of the prison where the rival gangs would see it. Right to make the point they were the most violent and ruthless out of all the gangs. And that was the Aryan Brotherhood prison gang, the neo-Nazis. They did that, didn't they? They did that. Another and one, they did that to someone else of another Zena's gang. friends, some of Zena's friends. Another one of Zena's friends was kicked repeatedly so hard in the, in the man parts, it, it crushed his testicles and did something to his um, area down here. That was the spleen or something like that. And his, his, his bits had to be removed. Another one, they snapped a broomstick shoved it in his ass, and when they removed it, it left splinters in his stomach. Right. And so on and so on. It's The things I heard just blew my mind. And that's why I started writing these stories down and um, putting them on the internet as this blog, John's Jail Journal, which it became a bridge to the prisoners so that they started to get pen pals and books and stuff like that because the world didn't have no idea what was going on. And so th these are horrific stories yeah. which are dehumanising. So they, they sound like they're things that are done to people mm -hmm. who are objects and not people. Yeah. And that's part of the way that prison makes people feel now. And again, it sort of goes against what you were saying about it, that being a rehabilitation. You can't re get rehabilitated from being raped. And You're there are raped. some people who are going to be in there as well, mate, who are uh, psychopaths, aren't they? Who, like... The you know, if you're by the very nature of a prison, head off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, how now? This is where it's sort of interesting for me, is because you're sitting here now. 
relatively normal guy. I yeah. mean, obviously, you know, you tell your story very openly. Mm. How did you get through that? And what was your day to day like in prison? All right. I had some of my mates were arrested with me. I'm just going to show you a photo of Wildman. And these were some of my bouncers from the rave scene. Mm -hmm. Right. So well, you had friends inside. Like I said, Wildman was, he's 25 stone. His nose is pointing. In a funny direction. So I'm just going to hold all the, that see up. See all the scars in his... Um, see if we can get the camera on there. See all the scars on his fist. This is the wild man. That's the wild man, yeah. yeah. Can I see yeah. that as well? He's a handy man to get arrested with. I mean, he started training... His we fight. have a very similar relationship, Brian and I. Um, <laughs> he started training his fighting skills on nightclub bouncers as a teenager, and he got the shit beat out of him. He looked like a trainer hit him at one point, and he didn't care. He just... That's the way he was. And, um, and so he's obviously white, so he's part of the... Aryan when he showed up in the prison and they came to question him, the guy from the Aryan Brotherhood who came to question him, he just knocked him out. Wow. So then the Aryan Brotherhood started tripping on him, saying, we're going to figure out who you are. And they came back and said, we know who you are and we're going to give you a job, that guy's job you knocked out to run this building. <laughs> because they worked out. Because he's, he's, he's a hard case, yeah. And you said that the general conditions in the prison as well were disturbing to say that they said cockroaches all over you in the middle of the night and that. <laughs> When I got moved from medium security over to maximum security, when I first got into that cell, it was about two in the morning. And it was dark with some light slanting in from the day room. First thing I see this guy asleep on the top bunk. Thinking, oh, that's cool. There's only two bunks in maximum security. It's less crowded. Why is he on the top bunk? Because where I've come from, people fight over the bottom bunk. So I walk in a little bit. I start to sense stuff on movement, like on the wall and the ceiling. Something dropped off the wall, bounced off me. Oh shit, what's going on here? So I put my face right up to the wall and it, it's just absolutely covered in cockroaches. Mm. And um, I got used to the violence by now, but living with these guys is one of the hardest parts for me. What are, I mean, uh, what's it like then? You had to sleep in that room. And eight at night is lockdown, 10 is lights out. So in lockdown, all you got, you're in your cell and the guards turn the lights out at 10. And they start lining up in the cracks in the walls before lights out. They know when the lights are about to go out. They're like an army waiting to invade. So as soon as your lights go out, whoosh, they go like this, all over the walls and the ceiling, every, just everywhere. So I learned anyway, what you got to do is you got to wrap a sheet around you and leave a breathing hole. So you're like the mummy, which keeps them off you. But the sheet traps the heat to your body. It's almost 50 degrees in the summer. There's hardly any air coming in. It's like a concrete oven. So, so because of that, you've got all these bleeding and itching skin infections and bed sores. It looked like I'd spilt battery acid on my body at one point. And you got this itchiness. You try and itch yourself. But because you're sweating every day, your skin's soggy and clumps of your skin just come off under your nails. So you, you've got this, this sheet around you to keep the cockroaches off you. But then the itchiness kicks in. And it's so hard then with the itchiness to keep the sheet on you. You just can't do it. So you're just throwing the sheet off and you let them crawl on you. Yeah. So they stickle, tickle your feet, your legs. To this day, if anyone tickles my hands, I, I flinch because I woke up so many nights from tickling my hands. They get on your face, try and go on your mouth, nose. They really love going in your ears because your earwax is like honey to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if I, if, if I, if I like I wash my like ear that. out with a little cloth and put it down, they'd be on the cloth, like at the, at the wax. I... Got to learn the habits of cockroaches very well. They were my best cellmates for quite quite a while. Once I, once I, um, that would do my fucking head in. Once I tried to get used to them. Disgusting to look at, aren't they? 
We were doing cockroach races, gambling on the winner. I was going to say they're not they're not dangerous, are they? That's just it. They don't bite. They don't bite. They just yeah. tickle you. Yeah. They just want love and, and affection, really, like any any pet. It's really just a. <laughs> it's really just a really annoying and really upsetting to have that all night. They're like really. pugs all with shells, really, aren't they? After two or three nights of no sleep, you start to hear voices and see imaginary cockroaches. So I wrote out a, re- a written request to the jail, and they put me on some kind of med- medication to get to sleep. Um, but yeah, I had to get off that in, in the end. But let's well. get let's get back to your day to day. So you spent yeah. your day to day around this guy. They just sort oh, of... oh, wild man. Yeah, yeah. I had wild man protecting me. Um, my Mexican American guy, New Mexican New Mexican Africa, he wasn't arrested with us on that date, so he never ended up in there with me. But I've got some other bouncers in there with me. A guy called Zach. He was over six. He was like six foot seven, six foot eight, something like that. But you can't be around those guys all the time. Correct. Correct. But. Word travels very fast about who is who in a community like that. Right. So we were one of the biggest groups in the remand jail. The story had been in the news, in the newspaper, front page cover story, all our pictures of the heads of the criminal organisations. So the, the prisoners were seeing this. And when we went to church and did our meetings together, we're all giving each other hugs. People were paying attention. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a big, tough guy. I mean, look at the size of me. I could have been preyed on. I would have been annihilated if I hadn't gone in over my, my bouncers like wild men. But because I had them protecting me... Um, I didn't get attacked that many times. Right. and But you did get attacked. Oh, yeah, everyone gets attacked. You don't have the full prison experience unless you get attacked. <laughs> okay, yeah. You're just not doing it right. <laughs> yeah. And so was that fairly early on, or was this No. Sort of- uh, after I got separated from my guys, um, after I got sentenced, I was facing 200 years, they said. Every time I spoke on the phone, I carried a ten, five to 10 years, I had 20-plus charges. So you're not getting out of that point. My parents right? remortgaged their house to come up almost 100 grand. Because in America, your sentence is... Determined by who your lawyer is and how much money you've got. Got it down to nine and a half, signed a plea bargain, got over to the prison system. Now, before I get attacked, the prosecutor, she's played loads of dirty tricks on me throughout my remand remand, because I'm refusing to cooperate. And um, in the end, she accidentally puts my prison sentence down, not as nine and a half years, but as 34 years to the prison system. So I'm then classified as the most highest level of security fast track to the super maximum security prison in Florence, Arizona. Get there. My cellmate, uh, my, my, my uh, neighbour is a serial killer. My cellmate, uh, he's got a satanic inverted pentagram tattooed on his forehead in for murder, part of a cult that's drinking blood and eating human body parts. And you have to sleep in the I didn't learn that system. until later. Right. Um, but he was very nice to me. He just read a book about Leonardo. You're very tasty. <laughs> He just read a book about Leonardo da Vinci and he gave it me and we discussed it and I never had any problems with him. Um, it took three or four months for me to get sorted out and go to medium security where I should have been in the first place. I'm hoping these guys will be a bit softer after Supermax. Guards decide to play a prank on me, put me in with... Uh, a notorious this is one of those YouTube pranks. <laughs> this is this isn't uh, on YouTube. They fake pranks all the time. Yeah, this is uh, this is real. Puts yeah. me in with a notorious serial home invader torturer. They really got you there. <laughs> a guy, a guy who's who's kidnapping drug dealers, and his favourite method of torture is taking hammers to their kneecaps. No, but you've got to hope at that point that because you're in his home with him, mm. that he won't want to invade you because yeah, that's invade. fine. You're just. I know we're making. Go and get the lad next door. <laughs> no, that's yeah. a real home invasion. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know we are making jokes about this at this point, but that must be harrowing. This is one of the worst points now for me is when he says to me, the night I move in, I've got a padlock in a sock, I could smash your brains in while you're asleep, I could kill you whenever I want. I've got no one there I know. They don't know me properly yet. And um, 
I'm thinking, shit, what am I going to do? I'm not a big, tough guy. This is this is big, tatted out guy. He wants to be in with an old con of fish. Uh, he doesn't want a fresh fish like me, which is what he's viewing me as. Why doesn't he want a fresh fish like you? Um, most 90% of the prisoners are shooting up heroin and he's running an illegal tattoo shop out of his cell. He wants someone like, like in, in, in that. going to do what he wants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which is understandable. And I'm... Like, all right, you know, all I do is read and write. I'm a bit of a nerdy guy, really. And he doesn't like that. So he doesn't attack me directly because he's just been done for holding a kangaroo court on a um, sex offender who he met in a tra- while in transit in some prison cell somewhere. And he kidnapped this guy. They held him and stabbed him a load of times. And he threatened to pop eyeballs out and eat them if anyone snitched at him. So he's just been in all this trouble. He's just got back to his cell. He doesn't want to attack me directly. So he gets his mate. 20 plus stone California biker who's a member of the Aryan Brotherhood gang to attack me just when my mum and dad have come to visit me for Christmas they've just flown 5,000 miles just to spoil it just to be snide yeah so I'm walking to this visit happy as can be visits and mail are gold in prison it's what you look forward to big guy sneaks up behind me kidney punches me bam I've not done karate at this point or anything I don't know how to respond properly so this guy annihilates me knocks me down and um, fortunately, someone yelled a guard was coming, so the damage wasn't too much, but he smashed my back up real good. My, enough for my mum to notice when I got to the visit. She's like, what's wrong with you? And I can't say. Mm. Mum's already the nervous breakdown of my situation. I've got to protect her. So in the end, what happened? I got back to the cell. My cellmate is getting high out on heroin and meth and acting crazy towards me. Most young people are coming in Western for weed, but they graduate to heroin in the prison. Yeah. And he's like acting crazy, and he's showing me the padlock he's going to smash my skull in with. I got so scared, it was the only time I called for outside help. I took a risk here because I didn't want to get be marked as a snitch. I called my family said, look, can you put a call into the British Embassy, see if they'll call the prison and get me moved? Because I think this guy's going to try and kill me. But when they call the prison, they can't say anything I've said that will get him in trouble because that will make me a snitch. KOS, kill on sight, everyone's going to want to kill me. Fortunately, Embassy handled it appropriately. I was moved and... Um, I didn't get in trouble because he found that. He said he came running down the stairs. He's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. if I'm finding out right now what's been said. If you've said anything that's going to get me in trouble, you're dead. And even if they move me off this yard, the other guys are going to kill you for being a snitch. And I'm like, I haven't said anything. I stand my ground. I'm going to be in this cell down here. You find out whatever you find out. All I said was we didn't get along. And I, I want to be moved. Well, that's, that's that's all they said, that we didn't get along. So he found out, and there was no comeback from him. He was throwing batteries at me for a couple of weeks afterwards until he found all this out. Handy. And then, and then my, new, you. my new cellmate who came in, <laughs> I got really lucky. That just goes nicely with my Walkman. Champion. As much as people came out of the blue to harm me, people came out of the blue to help me. My new cellmate had just come from Supermax, and his cellmate in Supermax... <sighs> I'd been a gangster I'd done some business with called Gangster Tom uh, in the rave scene and the last thing he said to this guy before he went to the prison system and this is a prison system with 60,000 people what's the chances of this he said if you meet an English dude called English Sean look out for him he's a good dude I did business with him on the streets and this guy ends up my cellmate that's fucking lucky yeah and then he says to me right and I don't I know what's going through his head at the time. He's not explaining, he's looking out for me. He says to me, I'm going to introduce you to someone who I want you to play chess with. And he knew if I met this guy, this guy was going to protect me. He didn't tell me this. So he says, um, I said to him, who do, you, who do you want me to play chess with? Oh, this guy called Two-Tone. He's an old-timer. I'm like, well, what's he in for? Mass murder. He's doing over 140 years. I'm like, whoa, wait, hold on a minute. Do I really want to play chess 
with this guy because um, yeah. he might want to kill me if I beat him. He, I don't know if they can make that out there, but yeah, this is two Tonys. That's two Tonys. So, two what, Tonys. Why did they call him two Tonys? Do you know? Because he's twice the man of anyone else. Two Tonys, right? Wow. Two Tonys were whacked in LA. And two Tonys, all school mafia, you don't hurt kids, you don't hurt women. From the Bonanno crime family, Joe Bonanno, his boss, was one of the guys who inspired The Godfather. Mm. The two whackers, one of the whackers was Charlie Bats Battaglia, who was two Tonys' boss as he was rising mm. up. But eventually two Tonys became more powerful than Battaglia after he did some wax and he was on drugs and he met Battaglia at a restaurant with his crime partner, Sal Spinelli. And as he turns the tables on Battaglia, he threatens him. Battaglia backs down because he sees two Tonys has gone a bit loco on the drugs and he's dangerous. And afterwards, Sal Spinelli turns to two Tonys and said, when when um, you threatened Battaglia there and he backed down, I could see the spirits of the two Tonys over the table. Right. Because Battaglia had killed one of the Tonys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know any of this. My mate's saying, play chess with him. Gets come, you know, he's like Uncle Junior. He's got the accent from The Sopranos. He yeah. comes down. He hears my accent. You can see I'm nervous. You know, I'm crapping it. Mass murder, 140 plus years. He hears Max and he's like, have you ever had tea and crumpets with the Beatles? He's saying how much he likes the Beatles. He puts me at ease. We play the game of chess. Throughout the game of chess, he's speaking his mind. I'm going to do this. Shall I do that? Bada bang, bada bang. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to beat him because he's speaking his mind. I'm not going to play any games because this guy's going to see through this if I slow play it. So I beat him. And he says, at the end, he says, um, how did you beat me so fast? And I don't know, but he's testing me. And he, he said, I said, because you spoke your mind throughout it, you wouldn't show someone your, your hand in a game of cards, would you? And he said, Sean, on the road of life, I've had to become a quick judge of character to stay alive. I like you. I feel you're an honest person. Would you be willing to write my life story? And because I'm a blogger and it'd been in the news, he already knew I was a writer and he was waiting for someone to come along. So I started to sneak into his cell every day. I wasn't allowed in. He's got prisoners stationed looking for guards. And I became his official biographer. So whenever um, prisoners came in and, and the respect is rubbing off, you know, he's, he's introducing me to them as his official biographer. That respect is rubbing off onto me. And, and he's and, loving that as well. And he's loving that as well, yeah. Because he feels special yeah. now because he's got a biographer. Yeah. Not yeah. many people have a biographer in prison. Mm. Exactly. Very... Exactly. Yeah. So you've got to find a way to fit in in prison. I've got these prison survival advice videos out there on YouTube. And one of them is, if you're not a big tough guy, lay low, find out who's who and make friends with the right people like the two Tonys. Because you might think when these big tatted guys come up to you, they're running it. But they're not. It's probably some little old man who's earned his stripes up in some cell like two Tonys. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Because obviously we had we had Nick Yaris on uh, the podcast as well, and he was obviously talking about his time. Now his, I imagine, uh, death row is very a uh, whole other kind of prison. Yeah, you know, you you're going to die. So there's a whole different set of circumstances there. But he was talking about how he used to play games on some of these guys and sort of banter with them and that sort of thing yeah you used to play chess with them and, 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 and fuck with them and fuck with them through the chess yeah I'm guessing you didn't have the same sort of experience you didn't want to fuck with people you didn't want to mess with people in... there are people who are messing with people and there are people who are getting messed with I was more on the getting messed with side of it right I'm not trying to cause waves I'm laying low I'm turning this into the educational opportunity of a lifetime I'm writing reading read over a thousand books in just under six years mm -hmm. A lot of the original texts in philosophy and psychology, and that all helped me um, become, you know, change my ways. And, 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 the, and the whole time, 
I'm assuming you stayed away from the drugs, even though there was drugs in the prison. I saw the horror of what drug use led to in the prison system. Mm -hmm. The road of drug use is very long. You start over here, student, ecstasy, pleasure's very high, pain's very low. But over time, you're always chasing those early highs. And in the background, the pain is rising and the pleasure's going down. But if you're addicted... You can't stop, even when the pain is from, above it. From what I've seen in my life, you've just fucking nailed it. Mm. Yeah. You've absolutely, because those first few times people take hard drugs, they get amazing highs and, and they're forever chasing yeah. that feeling. Yeah. And, and, and the, the youth of when they took it, and as they get, people get older and they're still hammering the drugs, it just becomes sad. It, it's it's quite pathetic. That's why I explain to the school kids, because you, you can't go in and say drugs are fun. Yeah. I say, here's what happened, the pleasure's high in the beginning, mm -hmm. and you, as you go down that road, pain rises in the background, and if you get addicted, you can't stop. So I credit the SWAT team mm -hmm. with taking me off that road halfway down it. In the jail, the prisoners, 90% shooting up heroin, crystal meth, two-thirds hepsi, killing them, hepatitis C, yellow jaundice skin, teeth rotting yeah. out. To get treatment for hepatitis C, to save their own lives, they've got to stop taking the drugs. They're so addicted, they're choosing to keep taking the drugs and die. Mm -hmm. They just can't stop. It's really sad. And, you know, I thought prisoners were paedophiles, murderers, robbers. They're not. It's society's most vulnerable people in general. The, the small minority of violent prisoners are what the media keeps everyone frightened with. Well, yeah, because they use them as, as, as we do in all groups or of any group of people. The media only talk about the extreme version of that yeah. so we are led to believe that whatever group they're talking about this one or two people represents that whole group yeah do you know the the prosecutor who was trying to fuck you over constantly yeah you know how you sort of look at the SWAT team as the intervention I look at her now as well I ha, credit her ha, do you, do you, do you yeah. feel even though she tried to fuck you over and yeah, keep you in jail for four times the length I'm of time I'm not an angry or, person or a bitter person I don't harbour ill will towards anybody mm. and it's just bad waste of mental energy and I look at the wild lifestyle I was leading mm -hmm. Sammy the Bull's son telling me I had been dispatched to kidnap me one night basically and take you out to the desert if I'd have kept on in that lifestyle even though I quit the deal I might have gone back to it might have ended up dead so them taking me off that road and forcing me it was egotistical narcissistic thought I knew everything to go in prison and get on this fantastic journey through literature and realise how much there was to learn, how little I did know, and send my life in this new path. All those things had to come together mm -hmm. to make that happen. So how long did you spend in prison in total, and, and how did you go about getting out? All right then, so as a first-time non-violent drug offender, I only had to serve just under six years. Um, got out at the end of my sentence, got on Connor. Before I got out, when you get out, people try and trip you up, so you get in trouble and you extend your stay mm -hmm. so towards the very end of it I got assigned to kitchen duty and the kitchen is hell nobody wants work in there unless you want to steal food and get extra food and stuff like that but, but at the low level it's, it's, it's hell in there like there's this big dishwasher thing it's like a car washer size <laughs> gas is shooting out of it and it's exploding there's fights in there and it's just mental so and there's knives everywhere there's, yeah and there's knives everywhere yeah. <laughs> there's knives everywhere good point yeah. well, well, well said <laughs> so I'll take a break my job is 200 guys come in the chow hall they've got like 15 minutes to eat to get served the tray they get a, a tray appears in a hole in the wall and they take it and then they put a, a, a tray back in another hole in the wall so 200 trays come in and I have to spray all these trays off and uh, we're washing them and stuff very quickly before the next batch come in so I took a break from this and I sat on a crate and this guy comes up and he goes that's my chair yeah and that's it then it's as simple as that that's, there's an issue this guy's murdered two people in prison already 
if I get off the crate, I'm a punk and everyone's going to play on me. <coughs> if I stay on the crate, I've got a beef with him, but that's only one person. So what do you do? Stay on the crate because you don't want to beef with everybody else. So I stayed on the crate and then he said, I said that's it, I'm going to get you. It's quite an immature sort of attitude, isn't it? That I was told early on, prison is high school mentality with deadly consequences. Yeah. It, it's Lord of the Flies, isn't it? In many yeah, ways, totally. Yeah, totally. I'm not sure they mind. They're not, you know, they're not going. Oh, immature. You know, you're right. Actually, I should stop that. That was, <laughs> that was silly of me. You're right. No. Imagine. Yeah. So I, I had a workout partner at the time called Iron Man, and he was a martial. I love the nicknames. Yeah. He was a martial. Are you still Sean? What's your name at this point? English Sean. English Sean. No, no, I've dropped that. Sean. In, 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 uh, they named me England in prison. England. Okay. Come from English Sean to England. Nice. <laughs> love it. So you, I, were you the only Brit in there? Um. Generally, there were hardly any Brits in there. There was Wild Man and his his, his, his uh, Scouse woman, Wild Woman. Yeah. Okay, she was in prison with. <laughs> she was. They were the three main co-defendants. Was me, Wild Man, and Wild Woman. Okay. She was number two, actually. Okay. Wow. <laughs> she was. She was. She almost killed him a few times. <laughs> sure. Their relationship was based on domestic violence, and um, I'd go over. Lovely. And she'd like she'd like thrown thrown like a, <laughs> stabbed him in the belly or something, and he'd knocked have knocked the teeth out. Sure. I'd have to take them both hospital. They'd threatening each other. And the next day they were like, "Love you, love you," and they'd be mm. doing the makeup sex, and they would just be back back to it. Yeah. So. So Iron Man. Iron Man. He says this dude's been shot already in the prison system when he was murdering these guys, and um, he's got an iron rod in his leg, and I'm going to teach you some martial arts move. Martial arts is banned in prison. So we've got this little room at the top of a run. Um, it's ironic because they're teaching people how to not be attacked and raped and that. I mean, jiu-jitsu would be ideal. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Although so, also you are teaching prisoners then to defend themselves when you need to beat them down. Well, the thing is, that yeah. how, how they rape you is they just put you in a chokehold and put you to sleep. And there's loads of them, so you can't get out of it. And you wake up and it's already happened. Right. Yeah, yeah. So Iron Man's like... He's teaching me these kicks to do on this guy's leg. Completely alone. We're up in this room on the end of a run. And the guards, there was one guard back then called the Bloodhound because he could smell hooch from 100 yards away. And he was sneaking up on us one night. And we, we sent something and we just bust out some yoga positions. And as he jumped in this room, we were like both like this, doing like tree pose. <laughs> so he couldn't write us a disciplinary ticket for martial arts. Because yoga is not banned in prison. <laughs> so this guy's running his mouth saying he's going to get me for a couple of days. Every night I'm in my cell, got my, got my sneakers on, waiting for this to happen. Didn't want to go to his cell because then I'm the aggressor. I could get my sentence extended. If he comes to my cell, it's on the camera. And um, he, he come in one night and I'm thinking, yeah, it's going to go off. I turn around, get ready, get in the position. And I guess there's a look in his eyes. The crane. Yeah. <laughs> the lotus. The lotus. Welcoming. Daniel son. Sleeping swan. Yeah. Um, and there's a look in his eyes like something's not going to go down. And I say, what's up? And he says, Sean, I'm about to get released. I've done 30 plus years. Yeah, I murdered those guys. That was a long time ago. I want my life back. And I said, I didn't know that. You've murdered two people. That's all I know. How do you think that makes me feel? I think I'm going to be number three. He says, look, I'm a hardcore heroin addict. I don't know how long I'm going to last when I get out. He's like, can you help me when I get out? Can you, can, can, could someone, you know, can someone show me around? Can, can someone meet me? Can someone drive me somewhere? Mm. I start to get really sad. You're having a heart to heart with a guy. I'm thinking this guy was going to kill me. Yeah. And I've just got all this overwhelming sadness. And it, it's just <clears> that thing where... These people are scurry on the surface, 
But on, inside, they, they're hurting inside. Sometimes being vulnerable makes you lash out before. To, it's almost like do unto others before they do it to you. So like that's the mentality people grow up with these lot. A lot they, of them they're victims to start off with, and then they become the aggressor to stop themselves from being a victim anymore. Exactly. They were they were molested as kids. They mm. were thrown away as kids, raised on the streets, seen parents murdered, seen. I heard a lot of the sad stories, and it opened my heart to what was going on. And um, I just thought that was really sad, and, and then the, the beef was squashed after that. And so what did you do to help them? Did you try...? Uh, I, had a, I had a female friend who was visiting me, and, and we talked about her helping him when he got out, but he, he had actually arranged some other stuff. And he, the last thing he said to me was, if he could get his passport and come to England, um, would I show him around? But I, I've never heard from him since. Okay. Those guys, what happens is, they, they say, we're going to get out, and yep. we're going to get off the drugs... And um, we're going to get a job. And then six months later, you don't hear from them. Mm. They say they're going to keep in touch. You don't hear from them until they get rearrested for drugs. Yeah, yeah. Paul Hannaford told us that story about how he was getting released and he had it all in his mind. He, he had a girlfriend having a baby. Mm. Everything was going to be great. And literally, they released him with another heroin addict who he knew and he didn't even make it to the house. That was such a great story. He was story. already yeah. going to get more drugs. I was amazed by that story. I was, I was, I was listening to it. It was great. And so when you... When you did get to the point where you got out, you dodged yeah. all these people's traps to keep you in prison. Yeah. What happens then on that day when you know you're getting out? When I got out, um, it was a weird situation because my sentence hadn't come up in the computer <coughs> screen. It was still showing that I was supposed to serve more. I thought, oh shit, I'm not going to get out. And then it was delayed a few days. And finally, the deportation guards come and they take me to a federal deportation prison. Right. which is nearly all Mexicans in Arizona. So I'm the only English dude in there. And then um, I'm in there for a few weeks. They can't tell you a release date for security purposes. They flew... To the, have you seen that movie, Connor? Oh, I've seen it, mate. I was on it, Connor, for a few days. Fuck me. Going across Arizona and California, picking up and dropping off Mexicans. And in the end, they put me in a... In a on have a, you seen it? Yeah, of course I've seen Connor, yeah. They all put, right, mate. <laughs> Calm down. It's a gr- it's a great movie. It is, though, right? isn't it? They yeah. put they put me on a flight from LA to Heathrow. What's Mel Gibson like? <laughs> <laughs> they say we're going to take your chains off you. Don't try anything stupid. And then the London cabin crew are talking to me like I'm a human being. I can't believe someone's talking Drink, to me like I'm a human being. Sandwich. Well, when I got on the plane, the women come on. Then I can smell the women's scents and the perfumes, and that's just going to my head. And I've not had a shower for days. I'm thinking I'm stinking. I'm getting all paranoid. And um, and they're thinking the same thing. He fucking stinks. Yeah, 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 yeah probably. <laughs> and you, I went to the to the <laughs> to the. Actually, one of the first was this, I put my hand up and asked permission to use the toilet. Oh right. fucking all right, because I was going bright habit. red because I wanted to have a bird bath to clean myself up. Uh-huh. Um, and she, the, the lady's like, you don't need to ask. It's right there because the staff know that I'm. I've just come out of prison a bit, institutionalised. And then the video you saw of me at the airport getting driven back from the airport. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like that, then I've got a bit of a beard. And um, there's, a, there's a video where he just literally gotten off the plane, and his family are, are recording him on their uh, camera phones in the car. It was 2007, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, it was uploaded then. And uh, it's funny because they're texting, and he's going, What are you doing on your phone? Yeah. And they're going, What texting? He goes, What's what? that? Yeah. And he's like, Well, this is how everyone talks now. And then he's looking at the phones, and he's looking on the cars, and he's going, What's that car? And she goes, that's a mini. He goes, minis look like that now. Yeah. And you could just say, in a short space of time, a lot had changed because, I, I don't know, in that period of time, technology especially had Very gone rapid. through a fucking huge change. Yeah, definitely. So my mum said I was like a puppy dog falling around the house waiting for orders first year. 
I got offered the opportunity to speak in schools, but I wasn't mentally ready for it. It took me about a year and a half before I got out, before I did my first talk at schools. And I, I was so scared I couldn't even eat my breakfast. I paced like a prisoner in a cell at the front of the room. And I got out, I called my mum, and I said they must have thought I was completely crazy. But the school invited me back, and I got my confidence up, and and that's led to me doing all these talks now to the school kids. How did you find public speaking in general? Because I, I know you've done a TED talk since yeah. then, and that's one of the most intimidating things people can do in terms of speaking to a group yeah. of people because it's a big deal, isn't it? Like I said earlier, I came into drugs because I was self-medicating for anxiety, and that's always <laughs> going to be a part of me, that, some of that anxiety. And the first time I did a talk, like I said, I was so nervous, but the therapist said... When you're afraid of something, you got to hit it, hit it head on. Don't hide out from it. So I kept the public speaking in the schools up to the point where I don't get nervous now talking in front of kids. Ted in Switzerland was such a big deal for me. I did get nervous and my mouth went dry right away. I did pick up yeah, on the dry mouth, but yeah. I thought you held it together really well. Thanks. Because as, as someone Thanks. who knows what it's like to speak in front of a crowd of people, yeah. you can you can pick up on the little things that that person's going through. Yeah. But I thought... Fucking hell, I would have been like, I need a drink ages ago, but you kept going. Because there was no water, uh-huh. drink would have solved it. So for my second TED Talk, I hired a coach, uh-huh. and she looked at my first TED Talk, and she's like, you're hyperventilating, you've got upspeak on the end of your sentences, you're laughing inappropriately, you're taking, you're spending too long for when they're applauding. And she's like, oh, at least I'm, I'm going to have an eight, this ace public speaker. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's prison a long ago, <laughs> Jesus woman. <laughs> if she's trying to get you to perfection, yeah. she's going to be overly critical. So I was very pleased with my performance at my second TED talk, uh-huh. but the volumes, whoever recorded it, the volume's a bit screwy. Right. Yeah. But you can you can go and see those online. On TED, yeah, yeah. TED. On what, TED. What, what your uh, talk's called? What was uh, first talk? one is how facing two, what facing 200 years taught me about happiness. Yeah, I watched that one, yeah. And the second one was um, overcoming fear and building resilience in America's deadliest jails. Okay. Yeah, and also you've gone on to write the books as well yeah yeah yeah, my life story is a trilogy Mm -hmm. Hard Time I think the people watching this have probably been most into Hard Time the new edition Mm. which is about 100 pages longer one of the biggest stories from that which I didn't tell you is the the prison riot I was in wow go ahead yeah so like I mentioned earlier we've got the whites the blacks the Mexicans the Mexican Americans four gangs Mm. I'm in a pod that's designed for 15 people but it's got 45 in it so they're, they're all Got so many tables in the day and where they sit at. The, the I've seen those games. on. I don't know if you've watched um, Sixty Days Inside, where they put regular people. All, yeah, yeah, it's like uh, which I fucking it's love. Just like that. Oh. So exactly. Yeah. What happens is the head of the blacks is a guy called Knockout. He's a pro fighter, boxer. What a nickname! And he's never lost a fight. Knockout against Anthony England. Joshua's pr- big brother. I'm yeah. coming to mind. He's never lost a fight in the jail. So. He starts bullying members of all the other races for commissary. Because you can spend $20 if your family will put money on your books. Get some peanut butter, some peanuts, some snacks to supplement the diet. Because the diet, well, we can get to that if you want. Sometimes I have dead rats in it. Um, so he's sweating people for extra food. And people are intimidated by him. So they start complaining to their respective heads of the races. The respective heads of the races get together. They have a meeting without the head of the blacks. What are we going to do about this guy? Right. If... One person goes in, he's just going to knock them out. He's going to say, the issue's squashed. I've earned my right to stay. So what we'll do is we'll all send a torpedo in. What's a torpedo? All right. When you, when you first go into the gang, they exp- to the jail, they, the gang comes up to you and explains all the rules. Um, basically, Here's a little list of the <laughs> way that the prison works. Basically, 
you gotta have showers or we'll smash you for bad hygiene. Right. Can't go make your friends with the guards, we'll smash you for snitching. Can't go sitting at the tables with other races, we'll smash you for that. Um, and so on and so forth. Now, if you um what was your question again? What what is a torpedo? Torpedo, a torpedo. If you violate the rules, they send in what's called a torpedo. A torpedo is someone who's a junior member looking to earn his reputation with the gang. Bunch of young hot get, bastards. And, and get his tattoos. Right, aye. No questions asked. So one from each gang will be going in. Yeah. So he's going to have a right fucking time on his hands. We're going to have, not only that though, we're going to have, we're gonna have a, ta- a torpedo from each gang going in and three torpedoes outside station just in case. Oh yeah. He's got no chance at this point. Though. He's fucked, isn't he? So, well, well. It sounds like he well, put up a fight. It's like, it's like some sort of rainbow attack. I it's really like think, pay-per-view, Dana White, mate, get on it, because I'd watch this shit. 15 quid. You've got the white torpedo. The, the main white torpedo is this, is this cowboy dude. Tough as hell. The Mexican torpedo, big Mexican dude called Diablo. I can't remember who the Mexican-American uh, torpedo, I can't remember what his name was. So there you go in. Day room, it's 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 two story floors of cells. Mm. Day room, standard like you saw sixty minutes in. Yeah, I'm on the phone to my girlfriend. They go in the cell upstairs, and the commotion starts. And I, I'm I don't know what's going on yet, but the blacks are playing cards at a table, and they hear it. So their man's upstairs, and they and they're not there to defend him. They're not there to defend him. Well, this forty five man pod, there's ten blacks or less. So they were massively outmanned. They start to try and get up the stairs and the torpedoes outside the cell, the backup crew, start fighting the blacks trying to get up the stairs. One black guy was like, um, he must have weighed about three or 400 pounds. He came down the stairs like a bowling ball, knocked everybody down. I'm, I'm having visions of Hook. Do you know where um, Goldberg comes down the plank? Hey, uh, no? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, people just people start picking up mops and brooms and doing ninja moves. <laughs> <laughs> this would have been fucking dull. All anymore. because these guys are upstairs. Oh yeah, what, so what happened in that in that cell? Then? Now, it, now it, it's igniting into a full fledged ri- ri- riot. Mm. The guards are supposed to wait for backup, but we've got the two toughest guards I ever met in that jail on duty that day. One of them puts a spacesuit on. Get a fire extinguisher. When they say canister. spacesuit, you mean uh, like a, to protect him to from protect chemical himself. spray? Yeah. Gets a fire extinguisher-sized canister of chemical spray. He's coming. He's turned the phone off now, so I'm, I'm not talking to my missus anymore. I'm trying to get up the stairs, but there's the battle on the stairs, so I'm getting pushed down. He's about to come in the day room door, right where I'm at, at the bottom of the stairs. I'm thinking I'm going to get sprayed first. But he starts spraying the guys doing the ninja moves first. Get the ninjas first. Start with the ninjas, then work you. That's how I always. Whenever I play computer games, you always start with the ninjas. So I like what he's saying. Yeah. As soon as that spray hits the, have any of you guys been sprayed? No, mate. Luckily not. Your eyes smart water. Yeah. The snot drips out your nose. You get this. This. I've seen the the program where the. Uh, the guards get trained and they all have to actually be sprayed in order to pass out Yeah, and it, they really don't like it when it happens to them it's fucking awful like. my, my, my wait a while man he, he, likes to, he likes to get sprayed and tasered they got off on that wow so the guards <laughs> the guards the guards are like about to come in and um, I'm thinking shit you know he's going to spray me so he starts spraying the ninja guys and then that, that hits the atmosphere and everyone starts to disperse and you know the backup's coming so you don't want to get grabbed by the backup because then you're going to get put in lockdown. So I go back to my cell. I've got two cellmates in medium security. One of them's an old timer. He says, here's what you do 
in a riot situation when you've been sprayed. Because my eyes are stinging. You wrap a wet towel around your head and you just blink over and over and over. And it washes the spray out. Your eyes will naturally wash the spray out. So that's what I did. So I did that for a bit. But I'm like getting curious about what's going on outside. So I'm peeping out this towel, um, looking looking at what's going on. And um, what happened was the cell that the three torpedoes had gone in originally, the cowboy, the white dude, had grabbed the black guy in a headlock from behind. Mm -hmm. But because he was a trained, because he was a trained fighter, he knew what to do in that circumstance. He pushed the guy back against the wall, sandwiched him, flicked his head back and instantly broke his nose. Now, most of the torpedoes had gone and it was it was just left with the white and the black dudes fighting and they wouldn't stop. And the guard just opened up with the spray on the cell, just started, and they were fighting blind, basically. And then they just waited until they stopped fighting blind. And um, the white dude came out first with his nose pointing in a new angle. And in this polite cowboy twang, he just says to the guards, before you handcuff me, do you mind if I put my nose back into place? Wow. And the guard's just like, yeah, sure. Yeah, he just goes, crack, crack on. Crack, crack. He just Literally. Cracked, just, just cracked it back in. Wow. And then got handcuffed. And knockout comes out. Looks like no, no harm has even Nothing's been. Happened. <laughs> Nothing's yeah. happened. What were you worried about? Yeah. And he starts yelling, I'm going to get all you guys for this three-on-one bullshit when I get out of lockdown. <laughs> and, he goes, and I'll be having that fucking peanut butter as well, you cunts. Yeah, yeah. And he, so by that point, by that point, <laughs> oh, he has yeah. earned his stripes, though, to stay yeah. at that point. Yeah. Oh, he's earned his fucking stripes. And at that point, his friends know that he's a target. Oh, yeah, they'll not be leaving him alone in that way again, I would imagine. That is, I mean, he must have been... He so never lucky. lost a fight in there as far as I was aware. He got moved around different areas. And because he he'd, he'd stood up, he stood up. He actually didn't become a target. He actually, people people um, just kind of left him alone after that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. But one of the bravest people I ever met was this guy. T-Bone. Six, almost six and a half foot. He made Knockout look small. Right. T-Bone. T US Marine. Yep, T-Bone. Oh. He was dispatched to South America, got into some horrific violence down there. And a Marine. As a Marine, yeah. And when I first saw T-Bone walking across the prison yard, it looked like something out of a Conan movie. And because of the rules of racial separation <coughs> and the fact that he was so big, I was intimidated. I, would, I wouldn't have naturally gone up and spoke to him. But he knew I was blogging. This was later towards the end of my stay. And he, he, one day, I'm just writing at my cell and something appears at my door completely blocking the sunlight out. And it's him. And he just stood there in his pants. And his, his entire body is covered in scars. Not little scars. Like horseshoe-sized scars. And he, he starts asking me about England and English history and, and my blogging. And um, every single fight was just a different life and death prison fight story. But not only was he standing up for himself, he was stopping the raping of the young people coming in. He's very religious. He said it was his Christian duty and that God had his back. And to this day, he still sends me his letters. He's got a Facebook page, T-Bone Appreciation Society, that was suggested by the students. 10,000 followers on it now. It's the highlight of his days reading the questions from him and comments. To this day, he's still standing up for young people he doesn't know and risking his life over and over again. This guy's got the biggest heart I've ever met of anyone just to, to be doing this in a cutthroat environment for no reward whatsoever. Makes you think how did uh, someone who's such a good bloke, as you're saying, Marine, yeah. end up there? Drugs. Nearly everyone, drugs, same thing. Guard the Marines, set himself up as a bodyguard, make up to a thousand a day. Yeah. 
rest, invested it into cocaine, and then all he's, he's done over thirty years now, all revolving around coke. He's in his fifties. Yeah. So, what are what are your plans for the future, mate? All right. My life story. It spent me. I spent about ten years writing it. Like I mentioned to you earlier, I, I sweated and to do all these um, public, all these promotional <coughs> things. You know, I, I sold half a million pounds of books at Random House. Got paid two thousand every six months, <laughs> and um, so that's, I've just set up my own publishing. Not company. the best publishing deal you've ever heard. That's of. that's that's traditional publishers will pay that much on a ten pounds book, thirty eight pence, five percent, whatever it is. That's a fucking less your agent's fee. Disgrace, though, isn't it? Well, people are just so excited to be authors, and I was too, and I appreciate them setting me up as an author. I wouldn't have got into a broke through if they hadn't helped me do that. But the, a time they're helping comes, themselves a lot though. Aren't yeah, they? Fuck but me. a time comes when you learn the ropes. I put my Pablo Escobar book out. It became an instant bestseller. Which uh, is that one. Because yeah. obviously that, it's going to have helped you that um, there was also Narcos on Netflix. Well, I, I thought, I've got to stop writing about myself. Something's wrong here. Yeah. Let's start writing about things that are more important than me. Pablo Escobar. And it became an instant bestseller on Amazon. Yeah. So it took me 10 years to learn to stop writing about myself. So Netflix that's is making money from him and Amazon are yeah, making Netflix money from him. Netflix have done something to do with that, yeah? yeah Narcos, uh, Narcos season one and two is about him. Right. And I've got a book coming out about the Cali Cartel Timed for Narcos season three. Okay, because they they that's <laughs> season three is obviously not about him. At that no, point. it's yeah. it's the aftermath of what his family might be in a little bit. It's the the Cali cartel. They took over the business. And part of part of the, I guess the the problem with the Netflix story was that a lot of people from his family naturally disputed it. So is this a different version of that story? I'm in touch with someone an intermediary right now to possibly publish Juan Pablo's next book because the traditional publishers won't publish it. Because it goes against that DAA narrative. Yeah. And it explains that Pablo in the very beginning was in bed with the CIA because the CIA were looking to finance a war in Nicaragua and they, it was illegal for them to do it. So they they allowed the Nicaraguan rebels to deal in cocaine, cocaine to finance this war and Pablo was part it, it, of that. Well, they, so many people have reportedly been in bed with the CIA who... It, they use them as tools until they're no longer of use and then they turn on them. Exactly. So they say that Osama bin Laden was also yeah. one of those people. It's a standard thing. Yeah. I don't think that happens anymore. General Noriega. Well, they, that doesn't happen anymore. No. They, Donald, Donald Trump is Donald in bed Trump. with none of those guys. All right. <laughs> I think the CIA have more power than people. the president. Look at Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. Kennedy said he was going to splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces. And then boom. <laughs> yeah. That went well. Good night. Yeah. yeah. So Pablo has enabled You guys me. are going to die. <laughs> no. <laughs> My Pablo Sales has enabled me to set up my own publishing company, which I've just registered through Corporation Corporation's House um, this month. Okay, great. Are yeah. you gonna? That's, so, called, that's called Beyond Narcos for those guys who are uh, wondering about that one, because that's probably going to be really. Fa- I'm no, I'm going to read this. Thank you. Really right. Fascinated. By I that. mean, you'll have to buy your own. That's my copy. That's your copy. Yeah. So you Obviously, I'm, I'm going to go and buy my. Own. You can get that on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon Worldwide. That's. Uh, I mean, I'll let you borrow Kindle, it if you everything. really want. But. Yeah, sure. Um, um, and then the public speaking is my other thing. I do over 100 talks a year presently at schools. In the beginning, you know, I had to market it and try and get in there. But now the schools, they tell other schools, invite me back every year, and it's just going on its own. And what I love is all the feedback from the kids and sometimes the parents. Parents have asked to meet me. They'll say stuff like, we're lucky if we can get a grunt out of our kid when he gets home from school. After watching your talk, it was the first time we could sit down and talk about drugs with our child. Mm. And now he wants to be a criminal. <laughs> I don't Thank give you. him all the, the, the lesbian dyke triangles and all that kind of stuff. Sure. I go, I go <laughs> to in a there. room full of eight-year-olds. <laughs> now, my <laughs> wife was a lesbian. Now, does anyone know what lesbian I, I means? I scare the living daylights out of them 
with the dead rats in the food, the cockroaches all over at nights, the gang stuff and the, the prison rape and, um, you know, the, the things that can happen if you get, go down that road. And so are you uh, also working on things about that? Because you seem very passionate about the, the problems in the American Yeah, uh, I'm, an, jail I'm an activist now. It's something that's very difficult yeah. to kind of activist against, activist, activise against because... Yeah. <laughs> It's so embedded. Mm. Your voice is going to be one of many. But there's an inflection point because people are sick of the war on drugs. They're sick of the racism. All these black guys being in prison in America because there's this there's racist drugs are who, who thought, you know, they rape white women um, on drugs. And the backlash has been this decriminalization of weed because the war on drugs is a war on people possessing weed. Mm. It's not a war on heroin addicts and all this other stuff, crystal meth. It's, it's millions, hundreds of thousands of year rest for weed. And it's all keeping this prison industrial complex in business. Mm. The politicians, Democrats, Republicans, they take millions from the private prisons to keep this in place. But the people at the, at the state level are voting, we're sick of it. We're not, we're not get, sending our kids to prisons for, for weed anymore. Mm. In America, under civil av- asset confiscation laws, if teenagers are driving around a parent's car with weed, police can take the car, seize it and keep it. So it's, it's systematic that they're sort of taking away people's finances. And obviously that makes it harder. People get more desperate for money. What's the natural way of getting more money? Dealing in drugs. It's gone, it's gone to an, such an extreme over there that there's a backlash against it. Should there be, be half a million women in prison in America, nearly the majority of non-violent drug offenders? Prisons were designed for paedophiles, murderers, rapists. Chomos. Women aren't out, chomos. Yeah. Women aren't out doing these things. Yeah. And so, that I mean, but it's very difficult. Can you go back to the States I'm now? I'm banned right? for life. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you probably picked the best time to be banned. It seems like you, <laughs> you know, you made you made the most of it while you were there. Let's put it that way. America was good to me. I maxed it out. And you I'll also take there full responsibility sort of... for fucking up and, and put myself in the jail. You're also there at a great time in America, weren't you? Did you travel around a lot or were you predominantly I was. In, I was there at the time when the stock market was really bubbling. And I, I found it good to make that money. Yeah. And did you go to New York, LA? You travelled around a bit? Or um... Went to Las Vegas, got married on the Las Vegas Strip. To which one? I think you're going to like this story. Well, I'm already, I mean, Vegas is good. <laughs> this is number which three. One? Okay. Number three. Yeah. So I mentioned how she's bisexual. And one of the things that really got her off was having a woman come in and give us both oral sex and right. then me and her shagging. Right. So it was like the foreplay thing. Yeah. So Las Vegas Strip. We get married in one of these little Elvis places and then uh, we're walking back and she's like, to celebrate, why don't we have a threesome? Let's go one of the brothels. So I start calling all the brothels and then they say, oh, we're gentlemen's clubs. You can't allow women in. I'm like, what is this shit? So there's people on the strip handing out these little sleazy magazines and we get back to the room and she's going through this magazine. And she's like, I found this, I found this one, call this number, call this number. So She's excitable. <laughs> yeah. She's on coke as well. well she's, also, <laughs> she's newly married oh. at this point as well. I mean, that must be incredibly exciting. Got to celebrate. Who, who yeah. am I to restrain her? Yeah. So, <laughs> that is his reply. Who am I to restrain her? She's on coke. Yeah. So we call this one. I'm like, yeah, here's the deal. We can't get into gentlemen's clubs. My wife is bisexual. Can you send a lady out that would, you know, perform services for both of us? No problem. $150, $200 an hour, whatever it was. So I said, yeah, cool it. We're at this hotel. So she comes out. This gorgeous brunette comes out. My wife's blonde. And um, she sees my wife doing a coke. She's like, can I, can I do a bit of coke? 
And we're like, all right, yes, yeah, she, she, she does some coke. And so the first thing is, my wife's going to go and, and just receive oral sex from this one. We explain we're not going to have sex with the prostitute. Right. We're just both going to get oral sex from me. My wife's going to go first. So I'm just watching this on the bed. I'm getting so turned on. And, uh, <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. And, um, right. Eventually, it's my turn. Right. So she says, can I have more coke? And we're thinking she's high enough. And we're looking at each other because we're living in Mexico. And our coke, it's not like it is in this country. It's not got all this baby laxative and baby powder and la- stuff and laxative in it. So we're looking at her. We're like, you sure you want more? And You're saying like, you've got the real shit. Yeah. So she's fiending. We think she might be fiending. So we say, yeah, anyway, we don't want to spoil the party. She does a, a master blaster line. And then she gets on me and, and, and it's really kicking in. And she's like, she's like. <laughs> really going for it at this point. <laughs> she's like wanking me like with this iron welder's grip. Like, <laughs> and then she's like. You're looking your new wife in the eye at this point. <laughs> <laughs> she's bobbing. Oh, she up, she's skiing. She's, she's skiing down she's, the slope. She's, she's bobbing. On those nice white she's, slopes. She's giving me this blowjob. But then she starts bobbing and bobbing and bobbing and bobbing. Like this, furiously. Cause, furiously because the cocaine is taking at maximum effect. Sure. Oh, yeah. So I'm barely holding on to my nut at this point because she's going so hard and fast. Right. <laughs> I want to. I want to. I want to have sex with my wife, so I'm trying to save it. Right. So in the end, we like we call time Give out. Give it. We call time out. And, I, and, and then she's, we say, you've got to go now, basically. Right. But she doesn't. She oh, she's like a zombie. She she's like a resident she evil just hounding at the she door. She doesn't want to go. Yeah. Not with a cook. <laughs> I bet you she was wanting to stay with her. So she at this wa- point, you're in a Las Vegas hotel room with your newly married lesbian yeah. wife. Married by Elvis. Yeah. A cocaine, a cocaine hyped hooker. <laughs> <laughs> and the weird thing is, you haven't come yet. <laughs> Right? We, we're just going to put this on the start of the podcast <laughs> right, okay. and be like, this is what's to come. Right, so Make sure you watch the lot, you cunts. No, okay. It's hard to come on gamma hydroxide butamate as well, which is what I'm on. Yeah. But she's going so frantic. <laughs> <laughs> she's going so, because it postpones your orgasm. She's going so frantically on my cock. Oh, she's gripping. I'm on the edge. Yeah. I'm on the edge. So I want to. on the edge, all right. <laughs> yeah. I want to do the deed with my wife and we can't get rid of her. So in the end, we did get rid of it. Because we just fuck off, please. I'm we gave her our number. We promised you could go out with us on the town. We're trying to consummate a marriage here. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm a respectable English businessman, do you mind? <laughs> she, she, started getting photos out. she starts getting photos out of her kids and stuff and saying, <coughs> talking to telling us a life story. Yeah. She's like offering to come and move to Tucson with us in, a, in the house. You're and, losing and, it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife's like looking at me like, get rid of her. So... Yeah. Why, so she's got children you, to you worry just about. got rid of her we gave her our number we promised we, could, we would go out on the town of a club in, in, in Vegas and blah 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 and, you and tell her any old shit she went yeah and were you in a fancy hotel Vegas room or is this like one <laughs> yeah. of those because when, when I stayed in Vegas I was in one of those shitty motels you know you weren't in a shitty this motel was, this was at the peak of my money right so yeah. you were in a ball in yeah. MGM Grand style yeah, like Caesar's Palace Caesar's Palace all Caesar's that kind Palace. of stuff okay yeah, yeah. Um, what, what a situation to be in yeah Unlucky me. I yeah. really hope one day. <laughs> I really hope one day someone I'll, makes I'll, that. Actually, I'm going to leave that sentence where it is. That's just okay. Uh, I'm I'm just hoping some one day someone makes that into a short. Yeah. Because there's a definite short film in there, isn't there? Sort of. They could do a cartoon or let's, um, let's deglamorize it with the like. dark side, though. Yeah. So she got so deeply into drugs after the, the after, after uh, no my, my, my wife after we after us had split. Um, she wanted to kill herself, and. Um, she had this romantic idea of dying like Cleopatra in Egypt. Right. She got a one-way ticket to Egypt. Yep, getting bit by a snake. Yeah. 
No snakes available. Oh, just my luck. <laughs> so she gets a, a pill cocktail, slams the pill cocktail, and then just slashed her wrist. Fucking hell, man. But she did get found by the staff. Might have been a cry for help, I don't know. And uh, she got rescued and she survived wow. and went on all over the world, uh, teaching in China, teaching in Africa and doing good things. Wow. And you still know her now? Still know her now. Everyone in my books has had to sign legal papers saying this is accurate. Otherwise, so, they could sue me, they could sue the publisher. Wow. So... Yeah, you're not. You're saying you're not glamorising, and we're certainly not trying. We're laughing at the how crazy your life yeah. was. To be honest, we're yeah. definitely not laughing yeah. at the drugs and that. But because uh, you know, a few people have had a little dig at. Uh, I think just a few people have been very worried about about telling stories like this, and it's sort of being like, well, you know, is it, well, can, you, it can't yeah. sound very glamorous. Yeah, but what, one thing you did mention uh, was at one point uh, during the first few years of your stay in prison. <clears throat> You yourself felt like suicidal in that. Oh God, yeah. How how bad did it go for you? All right, so first year, I'm pining for my whole lifestyle back. Want my house, want my swimming pool, all that stuff. <laughs> Missing my bird. She's my lifeline. She's visiting me three times a week. Prosecutor <coughs> to increase pressure because I'm not breaking down. Sign the plea bargain. Gets my bail doubled. Get moved over to maximum security. Don't know anyone. Murderers, cockroaches. Cockroaches are all over me at night. Four or five days you can't sleep, hearing voices, seeing imaginary things. I've got all these bleeding and itching skin infections and bed sores. I've got a pink eye infection, my eyelids drooping down here, yellow pus coming out my eyeball. They stopped my girlfriend from visiting me by indicting her for one prescription pill found in our medicine or our bathroom on um, in the cabinet on the day of the raid without a written prescription right next to it, which is a class six felony. Yeah. Co-defendants can't visit co-defendants. She just criminalised her to, to stop me. her from visiting me. They're really turning <clears> a screw <throat> on you. And then they say, 200 years, every time he spoke about drugs on the phone, he's five to ten. You go to trial and lose, we're going to stack it up to 200-year sentence. So I'm like, do I want to spend the rest of my life in an environment like this? I can't take it anymore. So I plan to slash my wrists after a guard did a security walk. But before I was going to do it, I wanted to say goodbye to my, my mum and dad and my sister and my, my girlfriend. And what I mean by that was I had seven photos. So I get the photos out. <clears throat> and I'm looking at my mum and dad and my sister and my girlfriend. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, you know, mum's going to get a call saying he's, he's slashed his wrists um, in an Arizona jail cell. I just got I just got really sad. I started crying. And I thought, I just can't put my mum through that. Mm. And that's That's what stopped me from doing it. And I felt selfish the next day for yeah. wanting to kill myself because a prisoner came in and told me his sad story. He had stomach cancer. He was going to die in there. He had a metal rod, rod in his leg. He was in agony. He had syphilis, uh, hep C, and cancer. And he was in agony when he pissed and, and went on the toilet. And I'm thinking, this guy's going to die now. I felt sorry for myself last yeah. night. And that was the turning point. When you are thinking about 200 years and then you get sentenced to nine and a half you're like I'm going to get my life back that's crazy yeah who, who gives a shit about the house on the mountain who gives a shit about the dyke triangle who gives a shit about your plasma screen TV you just, car, you just, you just want your life yeah. back and I started to think about the needs of the prisoners I started to help them read their legal paperwork further them couldn't read alright it was hard enough for me yeah. to understand the legal terminology I started a class for the Mexicans a lot of them worked out in the country couldn't write home in Spanish I did some basic I knew some basic Spanish Erwin Brotherhood Prison Gang had a problem because of helping another race. We had a cellmate who was an independent tough guy and he uh, intervened with the gang and they allowed me to continue. And the final thing I did to, to try to help people was a guard said to me, the world has got no idea what's going on in here. 
but all the human rights violations. Yeah. And that's what motivated me to start writing it down. My aunt smuggled it out of maximum security, risking herself. Mm-hmm. Got put on the internet as John's jail journal so they wouldn't know my real name, the guards. And that went on to attract international media attention. And that's what's led to everything. Right. That came from helping other people. I never set out to benefit myself. But helping other people puts a, it puts a break on your ego. And it's good for your soul. And it leads to good things. Like, like I became an author because of it. Gave me the credibility to do talks in the schools. And set me on this whole new positive path. And it's, it's amazing, really, how quickly things can turn for someone. They're, you know, you've gone down a very negative route for a very long time. Maybe you didn't realise it because you were enjoying it. And I, then suddenly... Yeah. I think the average person watching this show, and uh, especially when I was younger, we all feel like the decisions you make don't really have that much of an impact of where your life's going to go. Yeah. That's bullshit. Like, the decisions you make will define your exit. Like, it's going to make a huge difference to your life. And That long road, you're going further down the road yeah. with drugs. And, and you've proven how... On a good decision, it can go like that. And on a bad decision, it can go fucking like that. Do you know what I'm saying? But we, most people feel like helpless. Like when they're making, oh, if, what is, difference does it take, make if I take this subject in college or that, or I get this job or that job? But it does make a fucking huge difference. And you've paid the price, mate, but you've also redeemed yourself, haven't you? Paid the price and now trying to help young people not make my mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well done, mate. Thanks. I'm proud of you, honestly. I think it's good that what you're doing, and uh, I don't know if you got any other questions because I'm. I mean, no, I think I think we've covered a lot there. I think it would, yeah. it would be worth, uh, you know, go, go over and watch some of your videos online because I think yeah, I'll put all the compelling. links below. Like, that. you've yeah. got you've got loads of content out there. Yeah, um, things you've done. And I, I, yeah, I don't think he's your typical YouTuber. It's not one of those sort of morning guys just going in through my old prison vlogs. <laughs> 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 You know, it is. It I'm not is, a YouTuber. Yeah. I, just have a, I just have social media on every channel. Yeah. Obviously, just, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people could be quite cynical about, um, you know, people who want to tell their own story. But I think it is quite a genuine story, and there's there's a lot of lessons in there for people. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot for putting those things out there as well. Appreciate you guys having me on. It's been really great, and you know, looking at your own videos as well. I spend my breakfast now and stuff like listening to your stuff. Wow, I'm <laughs> surprised you can eat your breakfast listening to some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth. But uh, that's fair as enough. As long as there's no dead rats in the Yeah, field, exactly. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get another story like yours. That's for fucking sure. Oh. Was the food? That, kind. How do you survive? I mean, you said obviously there's peanut butter and stuff in prison that you can buy. All right, there's so, dead rats in the food. All right, in in the remand jail, when you first go in, this was the hardest core part was the remand jail. Mm. Breakfast comes in a plastic bag. Yeah, mouldy bread and green bologna. Green bologna. It's a raw sausage meat gone past its sell by date. It's got a green shine to it. So a lot of the food was in Fox. boxes that businesses were throwing away because it had expired. Mold on the bread, blue, green. Sometimes our mold came in these fantastic psychedelic colours that look, <coughs> look, actually look like works of art. And we're so hungry, we're just scraping the mold off because we've got to get some calories in us to just trying to sustain ourselves. Uh, evening meal, that was the mystery meat slop called Red Death. Looked like carroty vomit blended with blood. All kinds of random meat in it and it stunk. Occasionally there was a dead rat in it. Because they're mass bringing these ingredients to the kitchen with bags of spuds and, rats and all are crawling this stuff. In. Yeah, the rats yeah. going to fall in. And... We actually, we actually complained to a guard. We said, "Here's a rat," and they said, "Well, they took it and said they'll investigate it." And so the jail won't get any trouble. They came back later in the day saying it was just a potato. So I'm, I'm thinking, how can I outsmart <laughs> the system? Potato has legs. Yeah, that potato has legs and a tail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, how can I outsmart the system? Because I started noticing. Um, 
the Jewish diet was the best. You have a right of freedom of religious expression, which included okay. food. Yeah. So you got all these guys lining up for the you, Jewish diet. You can't have ham. You got Nazis. Dude, I saw a Nazi guy in there with a, a Hitler Zeke Heiling on his chest over Jews dying in a gas chamber. Fucking hell. Yeah. So you got all these Nazis lining up for the Jewish diet. Who does that? You got Mexican it... mafia Jews, Italian mafia Jews. I figured I got I got to start playing this system. So what I did was I, I converted to the Hindu religion to get a vegetarian religious diet. Yeah. And because the people who come and interview you about your religion are Christians. There's a book called the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. And they couldn't, they didn't know about it, so they didn't, they couldn't really question me. So they just gave it me anyway. So so much for outsmarting the system anyway. In the remand jail, it didn't work. It worked later on in, in the prison. So instead of the um, green bologna for breakfast, I did get a little thing of peanut butter, but it was rank. It was like burnt. It tasted foul. And in the evening, I saw my meal, and it was like a veggie burger, but it was as hard as a discus. I had to put in water to get it down. I don't know what was in it, but my breath was foul for like three days afterwards. If my girlfriend visited, you even brushing my teeth didn't stop it. And then I saw that it came with spuds. An Englishman and his spuds yeah. got all excited. I get my spork in there and I noticed all the lesions. And for some reason, nearly every night, there was long strands of human hair in it right. as well. Yeah. You must also have seen some pretty horrific tattoos. So all kinds, I mean, that one every sounded, single kind of tattoo. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that one's definitely a prison tattoo. It's not the kind of thing that you sort of go for on the outside world. So You're not going to a normal tattoo artist and going, Hitler Zeke Heiling above the... Yeah. yeah, that's not... If you're clicking up with the Aryan Brotherhood, let's say you collect the debt, you might get a swastika or SS lightning bolts. Right. Murder someone. you got to murder someone to be a full member. Get a warbird. Are you Aryan Brotherhood patch? And then you see the gang members, uh, South American gangs, Mexican gangs... A lot of them are into the teardrop. Yeah. So solid teardrop is one person you've murdered for your gang. What if it's an empty one? That's what I was going to ask. Do any of you guys know what an empty one is? Attempted murder? It's sorrow. The present One of the present definitions is, uh, okay. the biggest one is, it's sorrow for the loss of a fellow gang member. Right. And then when you murdered a rival who's murdered your fellow gang member, you fill it in so that it's solid That's interesting. as well. An earlier definition came uh, from the teardrop was that after they raped you, they put a teardrop on you as well. But that's changed from that now. So it's hard to tell. It's more, more, no, now, the present, is they're wearing it proudly now for murdering people or loss, loss of a gang member. Because if you've been raped, you're punked out and that's, you're the lowest of the low in the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some pretty uh, tattoos, yeah, change meaning when you come you got guys it. with flames on their heads and all their faces tatted. And it's just, I was the odd man out. They called me a blankie. Yeah. Everyone, you have everyone, no tattoos. No tattoos. Everyone in there is is tatted almost. The guy, the serial home invader torturer, he turned our cell into a legal tattoo shop, and he had hepatitis C. And I was on the top bunk, and he was his, he even he was leaving his needles out so they were sticking me. And one day I did, I, I, I stored it on one of his needles, and it went right into my foot. And I'm thinking I'm going to get hepatitis C now because because of, of this guy. And well, you didn't, but I didn't know. I got tested for it. Yeah, so lucky. Yeah. You're really lucky to be here at this point, aren't you? I think I've used up my nine lives. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How many books do you have now? <laughs> Almost 10. Wow. I've got a War on Drugs series. So Pablo Escobar and um, Cali Cartel. And, yeah. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Really good. How would you want to be remembered, mate? <laughs> Never been asked that before. I, just, I like to ask that one at the end. I guess I just want to be remembered as a guy who meant well but fucked up, did some harm to society, 
sawed it out of his ways and then tried to balance the books, trying to restore his karma. Well, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Oh, cheers. Thanks yeah, for coming yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Thank you very much for coming. Yeah, yeah, cheers. Oh, yeah, pr prison handshake. Yeah. Is that one. That, that one. one. And then bump finish. Oh, really? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Okay, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been a fascinating chat, lads. I've enjoyed it, as always, but really has been a good one. I like this. Very interesting. Yeah. Hopefully you lot enjoyed it as well. If you have, let me know in the comments below. I'll leave the links to this man's books, all of his social media there in the description. Thanks for watching, like the video, and we'll see you later.